The Joe Rogan Experience Podcast is brought to you by The Fleshlight, our first sponsor. It's been so long. It's the best thing to fuck, Joe. Nowadays, <laughs> I think I've come to a conclusion. It is no more not girls the, for you. It's just not even. It's not the best sex toy. It's the best thing to fuck. Period. I think. Wow, that's sad, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. If you go to JoeRogan.net and enter in the code name Rogan, you can save yourself fifteen percent off the number one sex toy for men. Yeah, right. It's number it, one still. It's number one for everything, and it <laughs> won't give you any drama. It won't give you any life drama. Nope. Hmm. All right. We're also sponsored by Onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T, makers of Alpha Brain, the cognitive enhancing supplement that I will be giving Chael Sonnen at the end of this interview because I suspect he will enjoy it. Uh, if you are interested in nootropics, I suggest just Google it. Go to, go to Google and type in the word nootropic, N-O-O-tropic. And what they are essentially is nutrients that enhance brain function. And uh, there's a lot of interesting studies on them. And there's a lot of controversy on them. So make up your own mind about it. But if you're interested, please... Do your homework first. Then, once you've done that, if you're interested in Alpha Brain, the way we have it set up, I want to make sure that nobody ever feels ripped off. If you order the first 30 pills and you don't like it, you don't even have to send it back. You just say this stuff sucks and you get a 100% money back guarantee. That's because I, I, I wanna, it's much more important to me that people don't feel ripped off than it is to make money. And all this shit is stuff that I've used before I ever endorsed it. And it's all stuff uh, that I've, uh, I've, I've been using nootropics for a long time now. And I'm a firm believer in vitamins and minerals. And, and you can read up all about the, the various ingredients that are in Alpha Brain on Onnit. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com. And go check that out. Enter in the code name Rogan. Save yourself 10% off any and all orders. All right, you dirty bitches. Chael Sonnen is here. We're going to get down to business. We got a goddamn American hero here, folks. How about some respect? The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. You, 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 you fucked up Rory's voice, though, man. All respect to Rory McDonald. You're, we need to get a better copy of that recording. Yeah, that, that oh, recording. we can get one. I'll get one from the UFC. Y- UFC pulled all the uh, YouTube videos down within minutes. Oh, did they really? Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what is your new book called? Voice of Reason, your VIP pass into enlightenment. Voice of Reason. Voice of Reason, written by this guy. Chael Sonnen, ladies Chael and gentlemen. P. You're here. I'm here. And by the way, on that commercial you just gave, that has got to be the single greatest guarantee in the history of fair trade. <laughs> you don't even have to send it back. You just call it. It's your yeah. word. You go, listen, man, this isn't working, and they refund it. That's we, amazing. We had to make it the first 30 pills because the way we had it set up was, you know, you, any order. You don't even have to sure. send it back. So then people start selling it on eBay. Right. I'm like, all right, well, you can't be that honest. Yeah, it's like the IRS. It's basically you're counting on honesty. Yeah. You're counting on it's for oversight. But I like that. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, I wouldn't do that. I mean, if it didn't work, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lie to keep a couple of pills. I think, honestly, I, th- I like it. That's, that's well, awesome. I think if you have a product and you believe in it, you would want people to buy it more than once, especially if it's something like a vitamin supplement. Sure. So I'm just letting them know, like, you're going to like it. It's, it fucking works. It's a fascinating little... Uh, you ever get into vitamins, nootropics, anything like that? Yes, uh, in college. And uh, I was sick all the time. I was getting sick three times a month, even if it was for, you know, a day or something. And my mom said, look, you got to get started on a multivitamin. Do you think this is also because of wrestling? Like, you're just I think so, yeah, you're, you're kind of in a good Petri dish for sickness. You're malnourished, you're overtrained, you're not getting enough sleep with all the road trips and different time zones. Perfect perfect Petri dish to get ill. And uh, I started on a multivitamin known as Centrum Complete, which has less nutrients than dog food. That's what my doctor <laughs> told me. But it worked for me. Those small nutrients made a big difference. So when I realized 
geez, I haven't been sick in a year. Then I really started getting involved, and now I want some really good stuff you can't even buy over the counter. You've got to have a doctor order it. Uh, it's called Usana. It's very powerful. Uh, you know, 4,000 milligrams of vitamin D. How do you D spell goes it? On and on. Uh, U-S-A-N-A, Usana. Usana. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a, a combination of vitamins? What happened? Yeah. Something just happened? Some short or something? Quick blurb. I got it too, but we're back. Um, combination of vitamins. combination of vitamins mm -hmm. and minerals. Yeah, and um, it's you can't get it in a like GNC or something. You like cannot. That. No, and you know, and again, let me tell you. Okay, most vitamins are ten percent effective, ninety percent marketing. We all know that about nutrition, GNC type things. The ones that really work are ten percent marketing, ninety percent goes into the lab and making them. Now that very statement I just gave you may in of itself be the marketing that the people have put out. I don't know, but right. that's what Usana is doing. You can't buy it. You've got to order it. Uh, they don't have enough to mass produce it because it's so potent and effective. Wow. But I have had a number of doctors with 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 extensive reading say, "Listen, this is the one." So do you have to? You don't have to have a prescription. You can just order. No, it absolutely from not. Them. Yeah, but you, you just got to have a doctor's office call up and you you know an eight hundred number. A doctor's office has yeah. to call up yep. for you. Wow. Mm -hmm. They got to call it in for you. You know that's. Something Something they tried to get going uh, years back. They tried to label vitamins as nutraceuticals, and then they were going to have it so that you needed a prescription to get vitamins, which get, gets a little weird. You know, I mean, I, I, I would appreciate a little regulation so we know exactly what the fuck is in everything, because right now it's a, it's a little wild west when sure. it comes to things like supplements. But I just think that uh, uh, that's uh, having to go to a doctor to get some vitamin D. That seems sure. like that's I don't I don't want that. Yeah, no, I hear you. But that comes back to my point that it's you know ten percent effective, ninety percent marketing. You know how many things at GNC are made in the same lab, but they're packaged different. And whoever can can right. get the word out more. And and I can tell you, you know, I've tried everything at GNC on the off chance that something might work. Um, you know, I begged my dad to take me there when I was twelve years old, and whoever the most muscled up guy or whoever the you know most handsome guy, whatever it was that, that attracts you when, when you're vulnerable at that age. That's who I'm begging my dad to put 40 bucks down and buy me the protein drink for. So I fall for it. I mean, people, people always fall for it. So, you know, yeah, they don't have oversight. It's, it's trial and error, but what's not. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? It is, it is kind of crazy, but th there, there were a few things that actually did work, but they got rid of them very quickly. There was one called mag 10, it was, uh, they used to have to go into that little glass cabinet mm -hmm. with the key to open it up. Yep. You couldn't even get it out of the right. regular part. It's like part. a video game, yeah. right. Yeah, you had to let them know, like, you wanted some porn. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's your porn was testosterone pills, and MAG-10 was fucking real. They got rid of it really quick. You would take an absurd amount of pills. I think it was like 10 pills. There were these clear pills, but you would take, I don't, who knows what kind of fucking damage it did to your liver, but, oh, my God. God, you'd feel like a fucking raging animal. Like oh, I, it I worked. didn't get yeah. Oh, it You're worked. It for worked. Sure. Okay, great. It worked. I, wow. Yeah, I gained a lot of muscle on it, man. I gained like ten pounds of muscle on it in like uh, eight weeks, and it was legal. You could buy it at GNC. You could do like six to eight week cycles on it, and it was such a steroid. It was so obvious because as soon as I got off it, my dick would just crash. My body would crash. I was like, wow. I was like, wow. This stuff, even though it's something you buy at GNC essentially right. is just like doing a steroid. Sure. So, so essentially they discovered something yeah. that the, the government hadn't yet, yet. and had it yeah. banned and they got it. And you know, that's going on. There's a drug out there right now and I, I shouldn't call it a drug because it's not, but it's, it's a natural product uh, known as Kratom. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it is absolutely an opiate. It's absolutely a painkiller. And you know those drive-through espresso places that they've got? We've got a place like that in Oregon, and the guy sells Kratom, and he makes 150 grand a year. 
and it's completely legal. The what? government has not caught on that this is a painkiller. I mean, you get a high, you get a low, you got a crash. I got a buddy that's coming off of painkillers. He got he got addicted to the Vicodin, and what he's doing is he's going and buying this kratom for ten dollars a pill. He buys five; it costs him fifty dollars. He goes every Sunday, and when he shows up at ten a.m., Joe, there is a line waiting for this stuff. It's a drug, but it hasn't been found illegal yet. And I'm saying wow. that because the story you just told about being able to buy a steroid over the counter, people are going to think that's not believable. That happens all the time. The government just hasn't caught on yet. Well, they and have, I don't know that they should. Well, I don't. Are they going to be able to? Like when when Balco came out with that clear stuff, that the clear, you know, the clear, right? Yeah, it was like somehow another undetectable. Mm-hmm. How you know how many more of those are, are are possibly out there? I mean, how hard is it to do something like that? Sure. Well, I, I wouldn't know, but I, from what I'm told and I read about this stuff all the time is that if you simply get yourself a good chemist, he goes in, he changes one molecule, one element, and all of a sudden the strand is something else. So you got your band list, you change one molecule, it doesn't fall into that category. They're looking for things in that category and they pass, you know, it's Olympic year. And we see this every games where an entire country comes out looking different than every other athlete. The whole country looks different. You're like, okay, guys. You're all looked at that, that way. This whole team has gotten this much stronger and more shredded and times have picked up and everything from track to pole vault to, to, to swim. Everybody's better from your country. What are you doing? And then you know, 10 years later, you find out and it gets added to the band list. It, it gets really creepy when you start thinking about shit like cycling and you see all these dudes getting convicted and all these dudes turning on. I had a friend who was a professional cycler, and he told me everybody was on crazy shit. Sure. He said they all are. He said there's no way you can compete at that level. He oh, you're to- talking cycling as the... Uh, professional uh, cycling. Sure, and I'm thinking Tour you're talking France about you know, shooting up on and off of uh, regulation. Okay, so we're talking, no, we're talking Lance Armstrong Olympic stuff. cycling. That yeah, I'm like, with you. Like the, or any, any high-level cycling, Lance Armstrong-type Tour de France shit. Like you, you almost have to be on something to right. compete yeah you know it's it's getting really weird when it comes to those type of sports sure. and what about when a guy gets caught and so then instead of just going yeah listen i gotta take my medicine he gotta bring everybody else down yeah, with you know course, he yeah. becomes the tattletale yeah. you know you know come on what, what's happening here this Jose that's Kinsenko. not the way it works you got brought down you got caught you gotta take your medicine yeah by jose Canseco's uh, uh that whole book and publishing and and you know telling how it was really going down you know i mean that really cost him people's love sure like for his whole life yeah like that guy if you ever read his twitter it's not comfortable right you know? no, i never have wow he's got some dark shit in there you know about what it was like when he had money and now that he's got nothing he knows what people are really like and you know it's it's pretty dark and it all a lot of it the hate that this guy gets emanates in the fact that he ratted out his friends sure well, I think there's something to that. You yeah. know, I, I really do. I mean, I, even as a kid, nobody likes a tattletale. Yeah, nobody likes tattletale, but, even uh, though he was telling the truth. Yeah, and that was that's the other thing. I, I, found, I, I did see a lot of stuff that he did with, with his book, and I did find it to be pretty genuine. I, I tended yeah. to believe him. A lot of people go, oh, he's an admitted cheater. How can you believe him? I was like, well, I think he's being pretty candid right now. I do believe him. Well, when we start seeing guys like Mark McGuire shrink down right after he's done playing, you know, and then admit that he was on steroids, or you see Barry Bonds and how big he got, and admit, it's almost like, man, how how much regulation do we really need of the human body? You know what is what what the fuck is wrong with what Barry Bonds did? What he, he took something that made him stronger. You know, what, shouldn't we be interested in stuff that makes you stronger and makes you healthier? I mean, you look at a guy like Barry Bonds, like that guy was, he looks like he was thirty years old. He got better when he was older. You know, that's as a as a professional baseball player. 
that's amazing. It, shouldn't that be something that we would like look into and say that's a good thing? You know, don't you want Roger Clemens to keep throwing fucking heat deep into his forties? Like, why would you want to stop that? Sure, but don't mix the argument. I mean, of of course we love medicine and, and advancements, and and that's wonderful. But if you're talking about rules within a sport and you want to just keep it out for whatever reason, but if that is the decision that we're going to keep it out, well then the guy can't bring it in and cheat and lie about it. I think that was the debate. But I hear what you're saying. I mean, if it is making people healthier and better, then good for them. And, and by all means, we should advance uh, knowledge and technology in that area. But that doesn't mean that it's okay for sport. That's up to the governing bodies. Right. But, I mean, that's what's going on in California. They just um, recently uh, ruled on uh, testosterone replacement surgery. Or, excuse me, uh, testosterone therapy. replacement therapy. And uh, also medical marijuana. Uh, and they, they ruled positive on both those things. Sure. And if you're, you're doing testosterone replacement, and, you know, that, isn't that essentially the same thing? I mean, it's essentially the same thing as uh, doing, uh, you know, human growth hormone or anything, anything along those lines. You're doing something to stop the aging process. You're doing something to enhance the, the hormonal balance of your body. Well, it's been deemed legal then. So it shouldn't be an issue, right? Well, I... Look, if it's legal or, or illegal is where it all comes into play. You know, I, I can tell you, I went through this in California, and they're acting as though they just made it legal. That's not true. It's always been legal here. Uh, their, their commission just didn't always recognize it. You know, I went through this in California. They so what out, was the official designation that they recently bestowed on it? What, the, what that they mean? would allow a disclosure process. Here, let, let me talk about myself because, you know, I was such an expert on this because I had to go through it. I go out, I tell them I'm on testosterone. I say, can I compete in your state while on testosterone? That's what you got to do. You got to get permission. Yes, go ahead. So I do it. I take my test. They come back and they say, hey, you're on testosterone. Well, guys, you didn't need a urine test. I told you that well in advance in writing, and you told me I could be on testosterone. They go, well, we don't, we don't like this. But you made the rules, and you told me I could do it. So it just ended up in this really weird area where they said, okay, but you didn't disclose it properly. And they started changing the argument. It just got really weird to where we could never narrow them down. So they finally have come to some resolution within their own body. And, you know, in the state of California, and I don't want to turn on and throw stones at them. I want to be pretty diplomatic with them. But, look, they are not transparent. And for, for you and I, two, two experts and authorities in this sport, to still not be completely clear on what their ruling was, I think speaks to their lack of transparency. And if they don't want people to keep stubbing their toe and breaking rules, just make it clear so that we know what the rules are. It seems like they're dipping their feet in the water to me. They it constantly like, do that so yeah. that they can then pull back out and go, yeah. oh, that's not what we said. Yeah, it seems, tough. it seems weird. Well, I mean, they're in a tough position, too. It's a pretty thankless job to be the head of an athletic commission. And there's very few guys that do it and do it really well. But, um, you know, it's not an easy job trying to figure out what's fair trying to figure out what the playing field is, especially as science and, and, and medicine advances. You know, I, I like the idea of a guy like Roger Clemens being able to play baseball because he's taking human growth hormone and doing testosterone. It doesn't bother me. Sure. Like, it really sucks that this guy, that he can't actually just say that. He can't just do that. Especially in a sport like baseball where, I mean, what, what, how is it going to hurt somebody? I mean, sure. I mean it, even if he is uh, it enhanced, it's, he's not going to hurt somebody. That's where it gets weird like an MMA. Right? That's like the, the, weird, weird, the real questions in MMA. It's like, I mean, if you really have 
something in your body that makes you like hyperhuman. You have like hyperhuman levels, which people can do if they, you know, if they use uh, testosterone replacement or something sure. else unethically. Sure. You know, I'll tell you, Joe, one thing I admire about you, you are oddly comfortable in your own skin. You know, you have no problem admitting anything and being a real open book. And, and, mo and so I think that's one reason why you can't relate to Roger Clemens is because, uh, you know, you're like, look, this is who I am and this is what I do. But that's a very rare trait. You possess that, but not a lot of people do. Everybody's got their secrets, not necessarily on this topic, but in other things of their life where they keep it private. Well, I think this is you're a, rare. This is a weird thing where, you know, his sport does not allow you to, to do that to your body. But I think it's a silly argument when you're looking at a guy who's an older man like he is. Like, how else do you expect him to be able to do that? Do you know anything about the, how the body ages? Because guess what? At a certain point in time, his body doesn't recover enough anymore, and he can't sure. throw the heat. But now he can. He can because he takes this stuff. Isn't that stuff – doesn't that mean it's, like, good for you? Isn't that, like, good for him? Like, shouldn't you be looking at it that way? So it's such a weird fucking narrow band of, like, what is, what is cheating? You know, what is, what is legal? What do we allow? Well, it's going to be a certain point in time where they're going to start genetic engineering. And what, do you, what, do, what is everybody sure. going to do? There's going to be a fucking pill that take – and it turns you into Thor. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to not take it? Are, are, uh, why would you not want to be like a superhero? If yeah. I could give you a pill and it lets you fucking fly through the air and become bulletproof, you wouldn't take it? Of course you would take it. It yeah. would be amazing. No, I like your argument. You know, and again, it's Olympic year. Olympics are my favorite sport. I don't watch professional sports, but I love every four years when the games come around. So you might hear me reference it a few times today. But, you know, listen, the athletes used to be done at 23 years old. That was it. I mean, 23 was it. If you yeah. made... 22, 21, that's usually... Now, you know, look at the last games in Beijing. We had Dara Torres. She was 40 years old. We're going to have 40-year-old athletes on our Olympic team this year vying for medals, and that's a tremendous compliment to medicine. That's a tremendous compliment to technology and what we're discovering here in America and abroad. And then not label it. Don't label it as drugs or label it as cheating. Look at the fucking advancement. Look sure. at what it look at what's happened. Sure. Well, and it's real interesting, you know, because the only time you're in hot water is if it's a banned list. But you know, that's junk science and it changes constantly. Things that weren't legal are legal, that are legal aren't legal. You know, a testosterone replacement, boy, that's just got such a, a bullseye on it. But there's a number of performance performance enhancing uh, agents that are perfectly legal and uh, you know you got to still be within your limits caffeine comes to mind as a matter of fact you know you want your caffeine levels as high as you can get prior to competition in my opinion you know I can tell you for my body that's when I do my best but you still got to be within the level and there's a lot of things like what is that the, what's the legal limit it's like a cup of coffee yeah essentially you know uh, if you report compare it to no dose which is something you can buy at a local uh, convenience store you can take two of them is that how you do it do you regulate it that way that's how I regulate just because there's no, no problems right. if you do that it stays in your system about four hours you'll, yeah, you'll be tested can, within that but you're fine but coffee can vary wildly right? it absolutely can you know and there's there's people that say you know listen and, and they'll block you an athlete a lot of fans don't know this when you go in the locker room you cannot have anything other than a closed bottle of water they want to see you open it and the reason they're just trying to protect you if you go in there with a the coffee you know they'll bring you in there five hours before your fight you come in there with some kind of a drink it could have something in it that you don't know about right but you know i mean the caffeine's caffeine's just one that i'm mentioning but there's a number of performance enhancing things and if a guy takes the time and gets surrounded with the right people that look into that because often it's overlooked but you know supplements diet vitamins as we talked about earlier these are there's a very important element and if a guy inundates himself and finds where his level should be and 
and he's legal, then he's legal. Good for him. And so many people want to point a finger and say there's something wrong about it, but there's not. And the science continually changes. Continually. It's yeah. junk science. You can't get – you bring five doctors in here, Joe, you get five different opinions. And you know what? It's also assuming that nature is fair which I think is ridiculous. There are some people that have fucking incredible genetics, and there's some people that literally can't compete with them. Absolutely. They, can't, they just physically can't compete with them. You, we, we both know guys who have been non-athletes that have tried to wrestle or tried to, and they just couldn't do it. There's guys that are born with freak bodies. You know, there's, there's guys that are, without a doubt, they're gifted genetically. You know, I mean, that's, that's not fair either. You know, should we round people up by genetically, you know, how, how, what, what's their disposition? Should we, I mean, because sure. if you really want to look at it, like what's fair, sure. like it is not fair that, uh, you know, you can get a guy like, uh, what's his name? Jonah Hill. Yeah. Right. And a guy like John Melvin Jones. Manhoof. Sure. Yeah. Melvin Manhoof. Exactly. John Jones. There's no way you can tell me that those dudes have the, the same hand. Sure. Someone, someone got fucked. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Guy, the guy that you want to win is whoever worked the hardest, right. showed the most dedication, right. has the best skills. And that is a fallacy. Some guys will be born with a better skill set than other guys will be able to learn over a lifetime. Yeah. They just are. You know, you see it with speed. You see it with the ability to jump. You see, And, and it's just a natural thing. There's some yeah. guys that will take testosterone and still have a lower level than a guy that was just gifted with it. And you see it all the time. So I get your point. Yeah, it's not a fair playing field. The idea is that your mind can allow you to overcome or to overcome the the disparaging genetics. You know, the, your mind and strategy is important, just as important as being physical. But that's always assuming that big strong people are dumb. And guess what? A lot of them aren't. Sure. A lot of those big strong naturally gifted motherfuckers are also really quick and they think quick. You know, I mean, look, a, a guy like Mike Tyson, people would always talk about how, you know, Mike Tyson wasn't bright. Mike, Mike Tyson was a fucking boxing historian and maybe he wasn't educated, but he figured out the best style for his body. He figured out how to how to break a man down. He figured out how to put up a pace that other guys just couldn't deal with. And if he could just punch faster than everybody else could, that no one could fuck with him. He, he figured all that shit. That's, that's, there's an intelligence to that. Sure. To get excellent at anything requires an intelligence. That's what's really scary about a gen genetically gifted guy. Because they Sugar. could easily be really smart. Burt Sugar just touched on that same topic with Mike Tyson, and he said he is very smart. He goes, I'm not saying he's intelligent. I'm calling him smart. He's very smart. Now, I don't personally know what the distinction is that he was getting at. I think it meant, you know, some of the bad decisions that, that, that Tyson made around town. Have you seen Tyson, by the way, the, the show? You know, he's doing this new I heard show. It's I heard it's amazing. Do you know anything about it? I've known nothing. Oh, I, I gotta tell you know one he story. gets up and tells stories. Oh, I got to tell you one story. So let me set the scene real fast. Dana White went and saw this. Dana got invited. Him and Mike are buddies. So Dana, you know, he's backstage. He's having a great time. All it is is Mike Tyson goes out, he's got a microphone, he tells stories of his life, and they've got a production. So if he says, you know, Don King in a story, boom, Don King's face pops up behind him on a big movie screen. So he's telling this story, and he brings up the Robin Givens era, where, you know, where he's beating Robin Givens, and he's doing these horrible things to her, and he's going, listen, the one thing Robin never told anyone is that I was seeing her the whole time. You know, the whole time, we were still seeing each other. Now, he didn't use the word seeing 
I'm sure you can fill in the blank, but he's seen her the whole time. So he says, you know, one morning at 1 a.m., I drive over to Robin Givens' house, my mansion that I bought her that I'm not allowed to go to, and I'm ringing the doorbell. And this isn't all that uncommon because I do this a lot, except today she doesn't come to the door. So he says, I'm walking around the house. I'm looking in the windows. About 15 minutes later, I see her pulling up the driveway in a Bentley that I bought her that I'm not allowed to drive. So she's driving my car. She's coming to my mansion. It's 1 in the morning. She gets out of the car. She brought someone home with her. So she brought a guy home to see her into my mansion in my car that I'm not allowed to be at. And when the guy gets out of the car, do you want to know who it is? And on the screen, up pops Brad Pitt. He was a waiter, and she picked him up that night. It's before he ever made it into the movies. Oh so Brad Pitt's God. sitting there going, hey, man, hey, buddy, you know, I don't really know much about this. I know who you are. We just, we were going to watch some TV, man. And Mike Whoa. Tyson says, I could kill you right now, and nobody Whoa. would. And, uh, and Tyson walked away. He did the right thing. He got in his car wow. and he walked away but how great is that story that's a great story holy shit brad pitt <laughs> right but he, oh my he, and, he God. and somewhere his production crew found an old picture of brad pitt you know some of them were out there where he's in the chicken suit somewhere in right. la trying to make it it was one of those old school pictures before he ever got his break <sighs> robin brought him home to mike tyson's <laughs> house wow. terrifying that must have been jesus Christ. hey man let's be cool man isn't it crazy that someone can get married to someone, just marry someone really rich for a couple of years, and you can just get fucking paid? You can just get fucking paid. If a, gr a girl can do that, a girl sure. can meet a guy like Mike Tyson, trick him, get sure. marry him, manipulate him, rope him in, ride it for a few years, and then just reap the rewards. Yeah, and in this era of reality TV, we all know when that's happening. It's yeah. just the guy does. Like, does Chris Humphrey really think he was in a real relationship? I mean, God bless him. I hate to see that he got his heart broke, but I'm watching it from my couch on a you know biweekly basis when the girlfriend's forcing me. I'm like, Chris, this isn't an actual romance, man. This isn't how this works. Do you really think you're getting married to Kim here? <laughs> I think he thought it was real. The whole, the whole rest of the world's going, you got to be kidding me. Well, he would say uh, insulting shit to her that you should never take from uh, a mate. You know, I, he said something, and I, I was on a soup with uh, Joel McHale. That's his name? Oh, right? yeah. Funny, funny Talented dude. guy, by the way. Very funny guy. And he's got this um, uh, this sketch they're doing about Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys. That, uh, he said, why would you care? You know, he said something there, like on the air, like, why would you care in a few years from now? No one's going to care about you anymore anyway. Oh. You know? Yeah, and everybody clapped, and we laughed, and I, I cried, you know, for fake, for TV. Sure. But for real life, I look at it, and I go, well, man, could you imagine saying that to your friend? What a yeah. cunt move that would be to say yeah. to your friend. If my friend said that to me, I'd be like, bitch, what the fuck am I doing hanging around with you? Right. I would cut that guy out of my life instantly, because yeah. I'm not capable of saying something like that to a friend. No. And that's it's accurate, this girl, but it's mean-spirited. But it might not even be accurate. Who the fuck would have figured out that she would be able to do what she's doing right now? That girl's making sixty million dollars, whatever a year. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Who the, what he's gonna see that the, the, she's not gonna be able to figure out how to ride the tide? Maybe she can. Maybe she sure. can. Stupid. She already did. Sure. Look what she did. I mean, it's look. She's no genius, but y there is genius in what she's done. There's genius in making a living by just being a person. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's very rare. I mean, you see it all the time. America always has to have somebody. It's usually some famous blonde. She pulled it off as a as a brunette. You know, yeah. it's usually your Pam Anderson, your Marilyn Monroe's. Uh, well, she also pulled it off with a, a fuck tape with a black dude. Yeah. 
Which is I, very I, I've powerful. Heard, I've heard that. Get out of here, you heard. I don't, I don't know much about that. Yeah, but, uh, well, it's You know, okay. speaking of, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't the gentleman involved, but, you know, Reggie Bush was at the last UFC. It was kind of Reggie cool Bush has my car. Supporting him. Right the second? Yeah, he He's my, literally in your car? I sold my Barracuda, and the owner that uh, I sold it to sold it to Reggie Bush. So well, that yeah, sounds like my, that's his car. You, you do know how a sale works, well, don't you, John? Yes, well, it was my car, I oh, should okay. say. Right. I should have phrased it better. I apologize. You got me. Uh, he, I had a 1970 Barracuda. I wish him luck with that fucking thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you need to be clear. You got a, you got a car. lot of tough guys as friends. I mean, I see Reggie Bush rolling around that car. I'm gonna go take it back in honor of you. <laughs> but now that I know, oh, it's okay. It was a fair you, sale, and he's it got was, the title. Then not only that, it was enjoy. I didn't it, even Mr. Bush. <laughs> change hands with him. I didn't right. even change hands right. with him. But yeah, he was uh, he was dating Kim Kardashian. I know this. Yeah. Why do I know this? I have no not who the president of Poland is. <laughs> I have no idea. But yet I know who Kim Kardashian was dating before she married this other fellow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm doing my best to act like, oh, I barely watched that show. But yeah, I knew I knew it too. I guess I should be ashamed as well. Well, you are so good at promoting uh, online and, and, and promoting in interviews. Have you ever thought about doing some sort of a limited version of a reality show? No. Not, not too intrusive? I never ha I appreciate the compliment. No, I never have. You know, reality TV is still pretty new. And to some generations, they don't know that. Um I, I, you know, I like it. I'm a big fan, but, uh, you know, I got asked to do the ultimate fighter, our reality show in our, in our industry. And, and I just passed. It just was, it was something you didn't want to coach, you know, I, I would, I love coaching. I coach a kid's team. What I didn't want to do was go to Vegas for five weeks. And now with yeah. the new format of live, uh, every Friday night on FX there, it's, uh, it's 13 week process. That's what Dominic and Uriah are going through. <sighs> That's a long time. It's a long time, you know, and you it's the little things. Chunks of your soul sure. in, that, in that place. For, for example, I have a dog. I can't bring him. Where am I going to put him right. in Vegas? Is Dana going to get me a yard somewhere? You know, it's right. kind of too much to ask of any, but I can't go 13 weeks without the little guy. Right. He'd go crazy. He'd forget who I was. Uh, He's the smartest dog. That's cute. What kind of dog is it? Oh, that's cute. It is cute. Uh, all right, Please thanks. say poodle. I love, I love dogs, no, man. No, he's a rescue dog. He's a terrier. He's, he's a, a, a mix. I actually don't know what yeah. completely is. But How long have you had him? He's, he's a cute dog is what he is. Three years. So you wouldn't... I mean, you could get a place. You could rent a place with a yard. I guarantee you. Yeah. No, There's you probably, probably some could. You know, fancy-schmancy, high-roller gambler type dude that would love to rent his house out to chill something for a couple months. All right, well. Well, there you go. Then maybe I go. will coach the reality show after all. Well, You've saved the it day. It would be fun to watch. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think there's some, you know, I think that show picks up. The, the one problem I have with the show, because there is some reality TV I like. For example, Big Brother I got pretty into. There was this crazy guy in there named Will for one season. If you ever watched it, I'm not seeing any nods. So I'm assuming nobody said He was fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic because he'd go into the dark room and he would just tell the truth. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell this girl this and I'm going to stab her in the back on Friday and I'm not even going to clean up the bloody mess. You know, it was, it was, he would say these crazy things and then he would do it and then he won the whole show. At any rate... Uh, the problem the ultimate fighter is, is they put them in teams, but there is no team. And so, you know, they'll go have a, 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 the team will do a fight. And if your team wins, you need to win something. You know, on The Apprentice with Donald Trump, if your team wins, boom, you get a night out of dinner. You know, or whatever it is. Or, or you get to go meet with this guy or you all get some money. There's no team concept. Why am I cheering for my opponent? I want whoever the toughest guy is, whether it's on my team or their team, to lose. 
And then I want the next <laughs> toughest guy to lose. I'm in this to win this for myself. And it's really important that those guys start to get that. Uh, and so they either need to do away with the team concept or they need to have a team reward. So there's a reason you would cheer for one side or the other. At this point, there's no point. So they just just camaraderie for the sake of camaraderie. Now. Right. And then as, as the numbers dwindle down, now all of a sudden, hey, you were on this guy's team. Now you're over here and they mix it up. And I, I'm a supporter of our show. The last thing I'm trying to do is, is put down the show. But I mean, from a critical standpoint, I'd like to see a reason to cheer for a specific team or just don't even put them in teams. I think it's just fun because the guy who's the coach, I mean, like especially this one right now is going on with Uriah and uh, Dominic Cruz. What I like about it is they're constantly talking shit to each other and it's just another way to try to win. Sure. It's another way to try to win with a team. You know, that, sure. And people love to be a part of teams, man. They like to pick team windows. So, no, I'm on team Apple, you know, and people love that. I'm a, I only get droids. I'm sure. a, I like the droid yeah. platform. You know, people love to be soccer. on teams. Sure. Ford you Chevy. say soccer, but I hear that ice cream sandwich is the shit. Actually, I saw. Have you seen the what is that? The note. Yeah, How it's amazing. Crazy. That thing it's is amazing. like this big. I love it. How much? Are you going to urinate, Chael Sonnen? Chael Sonnen is healthy. That motherfucker drinks water. Diet. I got to drink a gallon a day. I'm sure. Mike Dolce, uh, he by by the way just texted me. Yeah, go right down there to the left. Uh, Mike Dolce, who's a uh, a fitness expert. He was a former fighter and. Uh, Professional bodybuilder, I think, at one point in time, or powerlifter, something like that. Super smart dude when it comes to nutrition. So he's going to come on the podcast, and uh, I'm going to have your diet straightened out, kid. Uh, mine? Yeah, I need to address certain issues with you. We're going to get you on all vegetables from now on <laughs> and uh, and do some yoga. I ate animals last night. What'd you eat? Uh, I had foie gras. Uh, and I that's had, for the only for a couple more weeks in California. I know, but this place I went to it was called Animal, and I highly recommend it. It's in Hollywood, and it's just Animal. It's every single crazy. They had veal brains. Whoa! They had they had you know pig sliced pig head. I don't even know what that is. My uncle uh, used to cook lamb brains. He used to cook it ew. on the grill. What's brains taste? It doesn't seem like a good idea to eat brains, right? Uh, I was okay. It was really inexpensive. You know, it was, it's like peasant food. It was peasant food. And then it become slowly, it became like sort of chic, you know, fascinating that you're eating organs and brains and stuff like that. But uh, it wasn't, the, it's not the best tasting stuff. Okay. But Fogwa is. That's, that's, so that's amazing. amazing. You got me addicted to it right yeah. before it's about to get banned. Yeah, I took Brian to this place, Noir, that's right down the street. And they have, uh, they have uh, Fogwa there. For only two more weeks, these yeah. motherfuckers, these silly bitches, you silly liberals, what have you done? You got rid of the best tasting food. You're going to kill the duck. Do you really care if someone overstuffs this duck before you kill it? Did you even watch the videos? Did you ever see them force feed a duck? They take the duck, they stick its stupid head under this faucet, they pour some grain down its throat, and then they pull it off. It takes five seconds. And you think that that's terrible? That's terrible to an animal that you're going to kill and eat? Really? It's, it takes it's, five, it's, ten seconds. It's not screaming in pain. It's, it's for a human, it would totally suck to have a food shoved down your throat. Right. But they, they have a completely different capacity, like absorb grains and stuff. I mean, it makes their, their liver swell up. It's like, it's not good for them, but it makes delicious food. Is there a humane way to do it? Like, is there that like is a the humane way to process? Do it. Or it takes there... five or ten seconds a day, if that, you know? It's really quick, man. I watched them do it. It's, it's ridiculous. They take the thing. They, they, this is what we do. We grab them by the neck, and you stick its mouth on it, and they get sort of used to it after a while. They just, they just kind of like stat there. They, they pump grain down their throat, and then they let them go, and then they're done for the rest of the day. They wander around. Eventually, they're going to fucking kill them. I mean, that's why they raise them. I mean, it's, are we, we going to slowly regulate that away? I mean, it's not, this is not real cruelty. 
Veal, to me, is far more cruel and legal. And I'm more attached to veal because it's a mammal. I don't give a fuck about ducks. You know, if you take a duck and you stick it in there and you fill it full of grain, I don't feel bad. I don't, ducks, I don't really like them. I'm not like a fan of ducks. I'm not a fan of any birds. I don't, I don't really feel like any affection for birds. But animals I do. So uh, if we, know, we can do you. that for little baby cows and bend them up and feed them milk and keep them in the dark. And they, ne- they never get to move around. Yeah, veal's That's sad. legal. Veal. Veal's a tough thing. And I, I'm a veal. I really like veal. But if you see how that's done, it, it yeah. is tough after that. Once you, once you know. You know, I tend to agree with where you're at because I'm from the country. I'm from farm. I see, you know, I see this stuff all the time. People are just trying to, to get by and support their families. But I am surprised to see you take that stance. Uh, I, I'm very impressed by that. I didn't know you had an open mind. I thought you were, you were narrowed in. I've misread you, Joe. What did you think I was like? Narrow, like hippie style? Yeah, narrow, narrow hippie style. Way? Yeah, very liberal. No, I'm You know, I'm I heard that you moved. To Colorado at one point, yeah. and I thought, well, what's Joe doing there? That's a. I don't. I don't really. You know, that's where I really learned to not like hippies when I lived in Boulder. That's sure. when the, the that's when the the reality of the hippie truly set in. You know, it's like if you're if you're around hippies, at least seven out of ten of them are not going to have their shit together. Sure. Seven out of ten of them are always going to need to borrow sugar, and you know, seven borrow out of ten sugar. of them, their car breaks down, <laughs> they need to borrow yours. Yeah. They're just, they're just they just can't quite fucking get it together. Yeah. Well, you so, know, the the eco movement's a tough movement because yeah. if you if you go all the way with that, if you go all in. You got to start killing people. You're anti-human. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the human's the only thing that hurts the environment. We're so fucking it's... the craziest parasite of all time. Right. We're sucking all the fish out of the ocean. They say within like a hundred or something years, there'll be no more wild fish in the ocean. I mean, it's incredible. So we're sucking all this foot and then we're throwing all our trash in there. So there's this gigantic like island of floating plastic as big as Texas. In yeah. the middle of the Pacific, and it gets bigger every day. I mean, we're crazy. If you look at us from, like, if you were uh, an alien species and you were observing Earth, you'd be like, look at this one thing just fucking everything up. Like, yeah. wow. Yeah, for yeah, sure. If you really wanted to go eco, you'd have to start killing people. You'd have to shut down power. Everybody gets a bike. Either you <laughs> take a bike there or that's it. And hopefully you don't get stuck somewhere north. You didn't build your stupid house somewhere where it fucking freezes in the winter. Because if you did, well, guess what? That's just where you are. That's where you're going to be walking around now. And I hope your food supply lasts. I hope there's plenty of animals around you. You got to make sure you keep them coming because you don't, you don't have cars anymore, stupid. Right. Cars are bad for the environment. Yeah. I'm glad that you recognize that, though. You know, because I hear this eco freako talk all the time. It's like, you know, be real careful because you're anti-human. If you, know, you want to go all the way with that, and most topics that you get passionate about, you know, a guy that's willing to chain himself to a tree to stop uh, construction gets pretty wacko. It's like, you know, make sure what you recognize, you're turning on us. You're yeah. choosing us over a plant. But, you know, make, make sure that you at least acknowledge that. Yeah, well, I, you know, my issue that I've always had with uh, like people who are not just vegetarians and vegans, but are really kind of aggressive about it and the way they, they fuck with you. Sure. You know, and, and they, you know, hey, man, I just want you to reconsider. I just want you to think about what you're doing. I'm like, well, you're killing life, too, stupid. I fucking love plants. They're beautiful and gorgeous. And you have to kill acres of them every year just to keep your stupid fucking fat face alive. All right, that's an animal. That's sure. a, a, that rather, rather that's a life form. That is a life. You're eating life. You're eating plant life. Right. You know, you can't get by without eating life. All yeah. right. Life eats life. Period. So shut the fuck up. I got a chapter in my book on this very topic. Do you really? you know, about cutting down trees? And it's like, listen, the older 
and bigger the tree, the better with me if you're going to cut it down. You know, let it go, let it make some sunlight, and let a couple of new trees pop up. That, you know, that's the way that it works, and we use those trees, and we build our houses and paper, and there, it's, a, it's an absolute necessity. But those are here for us, not the other way around. And, uh, you know, you, you hear these eco-freakos, you know, of course, they only come out when CNN or some local camera crew is there. It's often about them, not about the environment. And that's where real frustration comes in. But, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, in fact, we were talking about Kardashian a minute ago. Somebody just recently threw flour or something on her yeah. over in England. And yeah. she's pressing charges. You know, it's like, hey, there's other ways to do it. You know, one of the anything you do needs to be nonviolent. If there's anything we learned from Gandhi or Martin Luther King, it's you don't come around using violence to to get yeah. attention. And that's where it's the like Unabomber went off course. When people were uh, spraying people's fur coats with red paint. Sure. You know, I mean, come on, man. Now, you, now you, you, yeah, you assaulted someone and this very thing, one of the resources of that animal's body is now you, you fucked it up and right. ruined it. And like people you, quit listening to your argument. Yeah. Once you do that list, I'm they, out. They listen to your argument, and you have made that animal's death really kind of worthless now because they're going to have to throw this coat away because you, you spray painted it like a fucking asshole. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Point. Now they're going to have to go get another one to replace right. that one. So, right, the punishment becomes the crime. I get it. Well, the whole thing is stupid. It's stupid to try to enforce your opinion so, so aggressively with paint. You know, that's assault. You're a, you're a fucking yeah. asshole. You'd be an asshole no matter what side of the argument you were on. Sure. You picked the side and you went full asshole with that argument. Well, you, uh, you know, <laughs> you run out and try to assault Ted Nugent. You know, it's like that kind of shit. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, he likes to shoot animals. Well, why don't you go down the fucking one? Go down to the butcher. Go, go down to that place where a thousand cows a day have to stick their head into a metal trap and a fucking piston slams through their head. Go after them. Go, sure. go. What are you saying? You know, are you saying that we should every animal that's ever lived should just live forever and, and take over the earth? This is stupid. Right. You got to eat some of them. Well, it's the food chain. It's natural selection. There's no there's no way around it. And unless you want wild predators argument. roaming around, keeping the populations down, you're going to have to fucking kill them. So few people understand that they they uh, they don't understand how important hunting is for population control. They, they don't, don't get understand that. how important it is for traffic safety. Sure. People who don't live in rural areas don't. I drove home once. I had a gig in western Massachusetts and I was living in New York and you have to uh, drive down. I forget the name of the turnpike, but I had to go 20, 30 miles an hour hour because deer would just dart in front sure. of the car dart in front of the car i mean it was an infestation sure i mean i've never seen anything like it since i i might have seen two three hundred deer in a night right. driving down this road it was incredible maybe i'm exaggerating let's say 50 deer let's say 20 deer if i saw 20 deer i'd be shocked so a lot of fucking deer sure. I saw them all if over the place. you saw three deer, most people can't relate yeah. to that, you know? And that's where our votes come from, is the city. And it's like, man, you got to listen to these folks in the country that are dealing with these actual yeah. things. Those things can fuck your car up, man. Real dangerous. People die all the time. There's a, a, fu a fucking wild video. Recent one of a kid who's on a motorcycle. He's going 80 plus miles an hour and he hits a deer. And somehow or another, he hits it perfect dead on so he doesn't even lose control of the bike. He just, boom! And they, he pulls his bike over, and his friend comes over. He's like, dude, you could have died. You could have died. Did you just see what that? He goes back, and the deer is just cut in half. He, he literally, like, the deer exploded on impact. That is amazing. Yeah. I have not seen That is absolutely amazing. I'm glad the guy wild. didn't die. I thought that's what you are going to say. No, I didn't, I didn't the guy didn't that. even waver. I mean, he didn't even lose control. It was like, like he was, never was lost so control narrow, of the just bike. just cut it in half like a saw, you're saying, basically. Yeah, basically. Wow. At 80 fucking miles an hour. 
<laughs> he's the one time speeding saves a motorcyclist in a wreck. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Right? That'd be interesting to talk. 20. Yeah, to talk to a, a physicist if he was slowed down. What would have happened? Would have he not cut it in half? It would have been him. I don't know. Well, because, yeah, it's like 80 miles an hour. It's like a bullet. You know, just bang to run right into that. Just probably just exploded. Well, but the kid lived. And I, there was another video of a guy, and it's another helmet cam, same thing. And another one where a guy on a motorcycle hits the, uh, a deer, but he loses the bike. And he was, in, it was, he was wearing, like, full leathers with pads, like racing shit, where they have, like, uh, those really hard plates in the mm-hmm. body. And he got up, and he was fine. And, uh, you know, and he was, like, telling people, look, this is the reason why you need to wear all this shit, because something like this can happen, and this just saved my life. Sure. But it's a, you, oh, that's the video. It's about 30 seconds in when he hits the deer. Oh, wow. See that? What, was that, that was it. That oh, was you're the kidding deer. me. No. Back it up a little. Wow, he does keep control of that bike. Yeah, well, he, he's a good fucking rider, too. You can totally tell. Because he, he didn't lose it at all. He's a bad motherfucker. Because when that deer hits him, he has a little jiggly moment. Wow. See that? And See that? Oh little jiggly goodness. moment, going 80 fucking miles an hour, he hits a deer. That's just a, a bad YouTube motherfucker. Sensation? Will people, uh, I mean, did this go viral? Do people probably know what we're talking about here? Uh, yeah, a lot of people know about this. I, wow. I got a bunch of tweets about it. And so then uh, his friend comes running over, and they go back to see it, and it's just splattered. Well, I sure am glad that guy's okay. That, that would not have been pleasant. I love bikes, but I can't do that. I can't fuck with crashing. No. You know, there's something about... Riding on something that Are you, you have a rider? Do you have a bike? No. I, ooh, see that? You see the deer? I took uh, my uh, safety lessons, and I was ready to get a bike, mm-hmm. and I saw one accident, and two friends saw two, uh, two other accidents in, like, the course of, like, three days involving a bike. Wow. Yeah, one of them, uh, someone, like, on a phone hit a car or hit a bike, just fucking nailed it, wasn't even paying attention. Guy goes flying off the bike. Another one, a friend of mine was riding through the canyons. He hit some, some salt or some, you know, gravel or whatever the fuck it was, lost his bike, ripped his shoulder apart. And then uh, it was actually right around the same time that Frank Mir got hit, too, when Frank mm-hmm. got hit by a car yeah. and broke his femur. Broke his femur. That he was, like, on his honeymoon, I think. Was Wasn't it really? Frank on his honeymoon? He, well, he was definitely on vacation. I know he was on vacation. He was I thought he was on his honeymoon. I'm pretty sure it was in Vegas. That it oh, was it happened. really? See, I thought it was. I thought it was overseas, like the Bahamas. I, I might be. So. I might just be adding that element. I used to be a historian, Joe. You used to not need to consult an internet if you had me around. I think. And now there's about, been so many shows. I've I've lost track. You're but. thinking about Tito Ortiz. Tito Ortiz was in Jamaica, and he got uh, oh. hit by a bus. Yeah, him and his wife were on vacation. I thought that's yes. what happened to Frank. I thought Frank was hit by no, a bus on a motorcycle. No, no, no. Tito and his, uh, his, I think it was his, uh, his wife, were uh, they were hit by a bus when I think he was on like a moped or some shit yep. like that. And his, I thought that his was wife Frank. Was hurt. Wow, I've no, combined the stories. Yeah, that years. happens, man. There's only so much data you sure. hold in your brain. After yeah. a while, those those stories get a little squirrely. Yeah. Now, Frank was hit, I think, like right in Vegas. And uh, some guy just fucking ran a red light, slammed right into him, man. Broke his be- uh, broke his thigh, sent him flying through the air, and it took a long time for him to come back. You know, he's a, a really impressive case of a comeback. Yeah. You know, he's gone. Well, because it didn't go real smooth. It didn't go smooth at all. You look at, like, the Brandon Vera fight, the Pedipano fight. You know, it's like, wow. Like, where? what happened to the, you know, the, the former champ? Right. You know, what happened to the dynamic Frank Mir that, that burst onto the scene, you know? The, the one that beat Pete Williams with that crazy yeah. arm bar from yeah. the guard. I remember. You know, Frank Mir was a beast. And so that, that set him back, man. That was a the pretty pretty grueling injury. Yeah. He's one of my favorite guys. I really like him. Very smart I, yeah, guy. I enjoy Frank a lot. His, his wife's real nice. You know, he's a local 
typical Vegas guy. He's a great commentator. Too. Second Amendment guy. He's very good very, commentator. Very he much. He commentates guy. better than the interviews that he cuts. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes he does an interview and, and people are are turned off by him. They think he's putting out an attitude. Or I don't see right. it, but I, you know, I read and hear about these things. But he doesn't do any of that. He's totally different persona when he's commentating, and I like that. Yeah. You know, if he doesn't if he doesn't see it, he doesn't say it. He's pretty fair. He's a smart dude. He's a very smart dude. He's a Kindle with him all the time. Con- guys constantly reading. I've had some really heavy conversations with Frank Mayer, and you know that's why he's uh, so good at jujitsu. He's got so much technique too, because he's like you know he's like an encyclopedia for shit. The fact that he caught Nogueira in that Kimura and broke his arm. Yeah. The jiu-jitsu world just exploded when that happened. That yeah. Frank Mir, not only did it, he did it when Noguera instigated the ground game because he had Frank Mir hurt and he wanted to finish him off. I mean, that just shows you what a bad motherfucker Frank Mir is. That's crazy that he bested Noguera on the ground and finished while, him. While dizzy. While yeah. dizzy. I mean, that's, if that guy's not underrated, damn. Yeah. That's really fucking impressive. Oh, he's got his positions for sure. You know, I was cheering for Frank in that fight. I was happy to see him win, you know, as a fan. But I took no pleasure in seeing Noguera injured at Not all. Not like that. That was, a, that was a rough one. That yeah. was a really hard one to watch. But Noguera's back. Somebody told me Noguera's booked for a card coming up. He's booked for a card coming up against Czech Congo. Yeah, against Czech yeah. Congo. So he shook it off. You know, good for <sighs> Noguera. I don't, yeah, I don't know how. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, how, how the fuck did... I don't know what they did. I don't think they used, used plates or what. I don't know how they put it back together again. Yeah, that was yeah. fast, but good for them. And Mir, he's going to go fight for the world title against Dos Santos, who I will never underestimate again. I under I thought Dos Santos was dead in the water with Velasquez. I thought it was a waste of a fight. I couldn't believe. I I will never underestimate Dos Santos again. He can throw heat, man. He can throw heat, you know. And I was really looking forward to him against Alistair. Alistair and him would have been a very interesting fight, man. You know, because Alistair is such a pure stand-up guy. And Alistair is so good at incorporating leg kicks and knees. And, you know, he's got a real tight guard, especially now that he's so big. You know, he, he kind of like sure. hunches everything over, protects himself yeah. well. He's a dangerous guy to anybody that has to, that has to in, you know, enforce a stand-up strategy. If you want to just go and box with that guy, he's got so many other tools other than just boxing, you know. Right. And he's so technical with his attacks. It's just uh, it sucks that he, uh, you know, whatever his issue was, you know, he's saying I think that uh, he got some medication that, you know, some doctor gave him that had testosterone and he didn't realize it and it fucked up his testosterone to epitestosterone. I don't know what happened. I don't know the story behind it, but I guess he's suspended for like nine months now. Something along those lines. Well, that was interesting. You know, that whole case was interesting. And yeah, you know, let's jump off that topic as quick as we can. But, you know, one thing about that, he took a substance test. He took four. Two of them were surprise tests. No substance was ever found. And he came forward later and kind of volunteered, hey, it looks like I might have taken some testosterone. But that wasn't what the test showed. The test didn't show anything. It just said, hey, there's something with your TD ratio. Let's try to figure out why this happened. The media well, really got that wrong. That? Well, you, here's what you got to understand, Joe. So, and I'm really glad you asked this. Here's your T and E. Okay, here's okay, your T, so here's your E. So they're very close for, for folks at home. Epitestosterone. And they're very close. You know, they're usually even one-to-one. Some allow commissions allow a four-to-one or even a six-to-one difference. But the reality is most are one-to-one. Now, if your testosterone went up or if it went down, that gap is your ratio. With the same set, if your epitestosterone went up or went down, that gap is your ratio. That's why it's a very disingenuous test. So when a guy has a T to E that's elevated, the media immediately assumed that he took testosterone. T. 
his T could have been in the gutter. His epi was at the norm, and that he could have been unhealthily low. Now, I really? understand that, that no designate. There's no distinction. It's extremely disingenuous. You will never find an endocrinologist, not one in this country. Literally, this is a challenge. You won't find one. No matter how disgruntled, you won't find one to come on and tell you that it's a, it's anything other than a disingenuous test for testosterone. And these commissions are missing this left and right. Really? And it's it's absolutely horrible. You know, in some commissions, they'll, they give you just enough rope to hang yourself. They say, listen, you're allowed. Go ahead and take testosterone. But make sure you're within the levels. It's like, no, wait a minute. That's not how it works. There's a testosterone level. You need to figure it out through taking blood. Well, we can't afford that. Well, you can't tell a guy he can take testosterone, but he can't. Elevated so it's a financial eat. issue as far as yeah, like I mean, the accuracy of testing? You have to understand this. Alistair was 14 to 1. A guy could be 100 to 1 and still be within the legal limits. A T to E ratio does not pertain to anything, and you won't find one expert. Now, I didn't say a doctor. I didn't say do I said an endocrinologist, not one expert to tell you differently. Really? It's absolute junk science, and they continue to push it. And it's, it's only it. urine recognition that does this? Yeah. Is where it, they look for Yeah, it? it throws off your T to E. Well, his T could have been up. His T could have been down. His E could have his E can be down. But listen, a guy has every right to manipulate his testosterone. Every right. The question is, how did he manipulate it? Did he use a legal substance or an illegal substance? And Alistair's test, four of them, two that were surprised, showed no substance was found. Now I understand if you wanted, if you and I's format right here, we we're just two guys talking. We can share our opinion. But if you're a media member, if you sit behind a desk, you wear the suit, you collect a paycheck at the end of the night, you're you're branded an analyst by your affiliated network. You can't come out and say that he took testosterone when the test didn't show that. He was never even accused of that. And you know, from Mark Cuban's tax write-off that nobody watches, those guys couldn't have missed the boat anymore. They took pleasure in coming out and outing him for something that the commission never accused him of. ESPN missed the boat. Everybody got this wrong, and they were quick to say that, oh, he's taking testosterone. Well, I, not according to the test. In HDNet, it was, I don't think it was anyone other than Boss who was, uh, Boss was pretty sure that he, he you know, and something. he, and he's got his, his, his own thing, you know, boss with golden glory. He's very loyal yeah. to golden glory, which I really admire with him, but man, don't let do that well. cross over. Yeah. If you're behind that desk, you got to yeah. tell a story the yeah. way it happened and they didn't. It's hard. You know, it's hard. I, I have, uh, I've done commentary before for friends and they didn't like what I said, you know, and they got mad at me and I would go, listen, man, I, I have to say what I see. Yeah. And if I see you're, you do, you're doing something and then you get caught doing that. It's cause I, I mean, I have to say it. I have to sh sh tell people what to look for. That's what commentary is. I can't yep. pretend that something different is happening so that you feel better about it when you listen to it, but then the million people who hear it are not getting an accurate account of what's going on. Like you know, that's I talked to, we had this conversation, Joe, in a bar, you and I, in Boston, and, and you, you told me a, a line, and I've stolen it, I've used it all the time, because <laughs> it's very accurate, where you simply said, if you don't see it, you can't say it. You can't go out and, and trying to hype a fight, go, this guy's stand-up looks great, if it doesn't. If his stand-up looks shoddy, well, then his stand-up looks shoddy. It's not your job to try to cover for him as, as an analyst. And uh, I've taken that with me. And, and you know, now I'm behind a desk in the suit. And, and I took that one line, and I've educated other people to just simply with that one line, if you don't see it, don't say it. Yeah, you have to let people know what your real opinion of it is while being respectful. And that's where people don't understand. Like, just, you know, if I'm accurate about something, it's not disrespectful. It's just, it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it might be uncomfortable for you, but to label it disrespectful, you're, n you're not seeing what I'm saying.
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you as a human. I'm saying, you know, when you, you, you know, you might do a technique wrong. You might, sure. you might have an opening. You might, it's not a disrespectful thing, but to, you know, to a lot of fighters, like it's, uh, your entire identity is wrapped yeah. up in, in what you do. But, but you owe that to the viewer. That's who's paying to hear you, not the fighter. You know, yeah. I, I can tell you, I thought I beat Michael Bisping. I thought it was pretty clear. It's very close. You, you had a different opinion. And I never sent you a text or was upset with it. You, you, you have your opinion, and when you're on the mic, it's your job to share that opinion. You know, um, my opinion, but I should clarify that. My opinion actually changed when I watched it again. When I watched it again, I, uh, I thought your takedowns would have won it. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I had it the same yeah. way, and I'm pretty objective. I'm not afraid to go, look, yeah, I, I pulled one out. I it's hard, though. That. When you're watching it live, you know, quite honestly, I, I honestly get a better view of fights a lot of times from watching it at home. The experience of watching it on pay-per-view is fucking great. I mean, they always get to the right angle immediately. It's never like, you know, sometimes I'll look up, and, you know, uh, Herb Dean's right in front of me. I can't see what's going on, or someone's in a post. Sure. I, don't, I don't know what's going on on the box. Like when uh, Alan Belcher and Husamar Paul Harris went <laughs> at it. The, when job, it, when they first went to the ground, I didn't know that Belcher, it, it, he instigated that position from the shot. You know, he's the one who pulled him into the into that position, and I didn't realize it. I thought that Paul Harris was diving on him because I couldn't sure. quite see what was going on. So you do sometimes get a better view yeah. of a fight from watching it at home. You know, sometimes you get hyped up in the moment, too. It, it's, it's hard to... And off topic, but speaking of Belcher, you know, the, Dana gives a fight of the night. Fighter of the night easily was Alan Belcher. Yeah. You know, Pelharis is scary. He's flat out scary. Nobody wants to fight him because if it doesn't go well, you're going to sit out for six to eight months. He's going to rip your legs Yeah, apart. it can go really, really bad. For the folks who don't know anything about uh, the UFC or jiu-jitsu and you're just listening to this podcast, Pelharis is uh, one of the weirdest uh, like specialists in all of the UFC because all he, his number one thing is ripping guys' knees right. apart. It's terrifying. Weird build, weird technique, huge Hulk-looking dude. Yeah, short, five eight, and just built like a brick shit house, and just dives on your leg and Very rips unique. it apart. Yeah, Hor horrific. The way he wins, people are screaming in agony. Yeah, and you know, Alan went. God, Alan did a great job. I was, Amazing. I, I was happy for him. And I like to see Pell Horace win too, because you know of his backstory, everything yeah. he's overcoming. He's a yeah. great story too. But well, I'm uh, a huge fan of technique and Paul Horace's technique. It's not just his physical strength; his technique is masterful. The way he laces up leg locks on guys, the way he hit Masenzio. I mean, the way he laces them up, it's like it's so pure. There's no fat in that technique. You know, I'm I'm a fan of of that, but I'm also a fan of a guy like Alan Belcher who just figures out how to deal with it. I love that. I love that he just works specifically with guys like Dean Lister. And instead of saying, well, we want to avoid this, he was like, fuck this. I'll go to the ground with this guy. I don't care. I'll go to the ground with him. Right. And I think he blew his mind by doing that. I yeah. think Paul he Harris blew mine. Was, Yeah, he blew mine. When yeah. he started going for the twister, I was like, if he taps Paul Harris, this would be the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah, because he, he talked about that in his interviews leading up. I'll go to the ground. I'll put him in an ankle lock. And I was like, sure, how many guys say? And then he went out and did it. I mean, he didn't go for the ankle lock, but he went out and did it. He backed up what he said. Good for Belcher. You know, Belcher's had moments where I watch him and go, you are amazing. Yeah, he's a yeah, And on a bad too. night, he's still very good. But on a good night, that guy's amazing. Good for Belcher. 
Yeah, and he's had some tough times, you know, with his uh, detached retina he had for a while, which is very <laughs> scary, you know? To imagine, I mean, you're a professional fighter and you start to lose your vision because of fighting, so they have to repair your eyeball. And then, you know, you have to have the confidence and the courage to go back out the there drive. And, and keep throwing leather and letting people punch you in that surgically repaired eyeball. Yeah. So he, he was off for a long time. I mean, you know how hard you have to work to make up that ground of those six months you lost, and now yeah. you got another four before. you got to work double time, triple yeah. Time it's it's incredible you just know, to I'm, catch up. How long does it take just to catch? So up? So happy to see Belcher doing well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes yeah. just to get back to just where to get, you were. Catch, and not no improvement in technique, no improvement mm-hmm. in conditioning. Just to try to catch up. How long like does it take to develop the win for a five round fight? To like for a real like your rematch with Anderson Silva that you're you're training for. How long are you in like peak? ridiculous hard training to, to gear up for a five-round fight? You know, the answer I give because it's my – is a lifetime. You know, it's a lifetime. I, I worked so hard, you know, until I was 23 and finished wrestling to go six minutes. And it was so difficult to go six minutes at, at that pace of a wrestling match. Now, you know, now 15 minutes. Oh, my goodness, it's so hard. When you start to break into those 25 minutes, I don't know if the human being is meant to do that. You know, St. Pierre keeps taking a lot of criticism. Well, the reality is you're asking him to do a monumental task, which is to go hard for 25 minutes. It's, it's an impossible task to ask somebody. And there's a saying in boxing that if you go for the knockout, you will not win a decision. And you need to make your choice now. If I go for the kill, you know, Dan Henderson style, and you don't get it, and then you realize that Shogun's still alive and you've got to hang out for 25 minutes, it's not going to be a pretty Ooh. 25 minutes. You what know, a, you, what a crazy fight that you, was. Yeah, you got to pace it. And a lot of people go, well, Dan Henderson's not in shape. Well, that's not the case. Dan Henderson's a human being. And human beings get very tired when they go for the kill. So you've got to plan it right. And George does plan it right. Now, if you want to see an exciting fight, shorten the rounds. And George will go crazy. I guarantee it. He did before. So you think it's just a matter of the human body has to work too hard to fight at a, a high clip for five rounds? You know, 25 minutes is just too much. There's no, nobody sprints for 25 minutes. How would you have it? Would you have it. I always felt like it's kind of interesting. There's two two schools of thought. Uh, one of them is that uh, MMA is more difficult than than boxing, and maybe the rounds should be sm- in shorter length. But then the other school of thought is, but it takes a, a grappler a long time to get his opponent down to work so hard for a takedown, and then only have like five seconds left on the clock. That sounds that's ridiculous. You need you know a five round a five minute round at least. You take a guy down within the first couple minutes. You have time to work. You hold him down. You you finish him. Sure. You, know, you have time to work. I hear you, but you know the competitors in no sport set the rules it's the fans it's right. the audience that sets the rules so it comes down but to i mean if you you are a fan as well yeah, you I are am. a fan as well so if you're as a fan i mean taking yourself out of the equation what do you when you just objectively with all the knowledge that you have what would you think would be the better format well it is how i would answer you professional boxing is viewed to be very boring so, so they call boxing very boring. Ah, oh, boxing's so boring. Well, that's not true. Boxing is fantastic. Go watch the amateurs. It's three three-minute rounds. They throw punches and flurries nonstop for nine minutes. So boxing is very pleasing. Professional boxing, where you're asking a guy to do 12 rounds at three minutes, 36 minutes is unpleasing. You know, commentators have developed this feeling out process. There is no such thing. It's a unwritten agreement. You and I are going to go box. You and I both know we can't go 36 minutes. So I'm going to stand around and move around a little bit. You're going to stand around and move around a little bit. Once we get to round five, 
Now we both can do seven rounds. Let's go ahead and fight. There is no such thing as a feeling out process in boxing. I boxed for years. There's such a thing as surviving a ridiculous time frame that's put on you of a half of an hour. And so if you have a guy hurt, but he's got a good chin and you go for it, you're fucked. You're screwed. He, I mean, that is lives, the saying. That doesn't survives. mean you're, you're not going to find exceptions to the rule. But, yeah, the basic belief in boxing, and I believe it too, if you go for the finish, you will not win a decision. Eddie Alvarez, does that name ring a bell? Yes. He's over in Bolivar. Eddie Alvarez talks about this. You know, you got five rounds. You got five. How are you going to do it? Eddie says, I don't train for five rounds. I train for two. And Eddie Alvarez was like 32 and two. He had an amazing record, and he finished guy after guy, but he also had a totally different approach. I'm going to go for the kill. If I don't get it, yeah, wow. I, I acknowledge I'm in trouble. That's pretty but wild. But 32 men didn't have an answer for it. And I really, I really liked when Eddie said this. He and I were in Bodog together, and I heard him say that and thought, oh, that's hyperbole. And I started watching. I go, no, he's serious. Wow. He trains to sprint and finish you, and he does guy after guy. And when it doesn't work, oh, he's got problems. Melvin Manhoff, I heard you bring him up earlier. Yeah. You know, Melvin will do the same thing. He's training for three. Three minutes. Yeah, three minutes of fury. Well, what, that's one of the things, the reasons I love uh, K1. I love watching high-level kickboxing. It's three rounds. Sure. You know, big matches are three rounds. You know, I mean, I, I used to love watching those three-round K1 fights because that's about all those guys could take. The way they were going at it, the clip that they were fighting at, I mean, if you go back and watch, like, Jerome LeBanner versus sure. Peter Arts, they're just fucking swinging at yeah. each other. And they take turns knocking each other down. Arts knocks down LeBanner with a high kick, and then LeBanner starches Arts with a, with a left hook. Yeah. Both guys have just got fucking waylaid yeah. on each other. They, they kick like you'd swing a baseball bat. Oh. I mean, it's just violent. You know, hey, speaking of the K-1 and guys that did what, what's up with Bob Sapp? Now, these aren't real fights he's going to do in these countries, right? He, <laughs> is the opponent in on the gag? Like this guy that hits Pujanowski. him after the bell? for five seconds. You know, Pujanaski is a gentleman. He's a sports. He's going to punch somebody after the bell unless in the back you worked it out. Hey, let me cover up and then act mad about it. I mean, come on. That whole thing looks so fugazi. That couldn't be real. Bob Sack gets a paycheck. I mean, this is my opinion. Yeah, but It doesn't look good. The whole thing was bad. And, and I think what made it worse was when Pujanowski kept hitting him after the bell. Like, come on, Pujanowski. You're not going to do that unless you know this looks this looks awful. It's like when Dan Severn and, and Shannon Rich did their, uh, their work. You know, Dan... Come on, man. You're caught on this. This is brutal. This is brutal. And, and your interviews after the fact are worse than the poor job you did in the ring at, at Fool People. I didn't people. see that fight. Oh, you didn't see no. it? Do you know what a round off is from gymnastics? It's a gymnastics. It's like a handspring. It's a handspring, and you'll usually turn. Dan Severn hit one of those in the fight. I'll just let you know that Shannon did something. Dan Severn hits a round off in the middle of the ring, and he stumbles. Oh god, it was so bad, Joe. What? It was so. And then after the the match, they do their interviews, and their interview. Dan Severn's cover up of the work was worse than the work. Well, I was just fortunate to get over on Shannon Rich. He's such a great competitor. You know, Shannon Rich has never won a fight. Dan Severn is a former multiple time world champion. You know, absolutely legendary in our sport. I was just fortunate to have a good enough training camp to go. Wow. Dan, you got to stop, man. You got to stop. We've all been in the locker room as Shannon Rich walks in and says, who wants the night off? All right, Shannon, I guess I'll take you. <laughs> you know, I mean, this isn't a secret in the industry, Dan. Quit, you know, come on. You got caught. Just call it what it is. Wow. That's weird. Well, he always did a lot of uh, pro wrestling as well, didn't he? Yeah, horribly. Yeah. I mean, he got a stint in the WWE, and they, they just couldn't use him. They said, look, you got to go. Just yeah. not, not entertaining enough? Yeah, well, he, he just didn't get it. He couldn't, he couldn't work. You know, if you watch his Shannon match and you see how bad he, he did at, 
it was so bad, man. It was so bad. This was the brilliance of pride, you know, and, and, and I get heat when I talk about Vandalay and Crow Cup doing their fake matches. But in America, if you're going to do a pro wrestling match, both guys will sit in the back and they'll come up with what they're going to do. They call it their spots. Okay, you do this and I'll do that. In pride, what they would do is the promoter would visit one locker room. So if you're going to take on Vandalay or Crow Cop, you know, your promoter shows up, boom, here's your 10 grand, and here's how this fight's going to end. Vandalay isn't privy to that. So when the guy goes down, his celebration is genuine because he doesn't know that the guy got his locker room visit. It's the same thing with Crow Cop that thought one leg cemetery and one leg hospital. No, Crow Cop, your legs aren't knocking people out. The promoter visited the back beforehand. That's what's knocking out. And then I made this public. I outed these guys because I don't like either one of them. Well, so, there, there were absolutely some legit knockouts. For sure. Like for Vanderlei sure. and Crow Cop, the, yeah. the, the, the second oh, fight. Oh, sure, when he kicked his head. Up. Yeah, I remember that fight. I enjoyed their first fight, too, when yeah. Vanderlei won. Well, I yeah. think they called it a draw. It was a draw the because, But Vanderlei yeah. won, you know, yeah. per, per our scoring yeah, system. Yeah, I agree. You know, but as soon as I said, also Goodridge and Coleman, all these guys going, yeah, he's right. There was, was a bunch of payoffs. <laughs> well, there you had know. to be Takata and it's Coleman. It's like, yeah, I mean, come on. You don't Remember have to, Takata and Coleman? Yeah, you don't have to put on your Colombo rain jacket to figure <laughs> this out, you know. Excuse me. Pardon yeah. me. Uh, excuse yeah. me. How come I'm 22-0 and 0 in Japan and can't win two straight in America? They well, uh, they offered Eddie a fixed fight. Let me fight. let you know. Eddie Bravo? Eddie Bravo got cool. offered by a not to, to be named Japan to lose, or to win, rather, Oh, to, uh, to beat Takoro. They were going to have it set up. So, but meanwhile, it could have been a double cross where he goes there and he thinks Takoro is going to lay down, and Coro beats his shit That's out. That's what of we him. call the screw job finish, Joe. <laughs> the Montreal screw job is That's, what we uh, call that. Yeah, there's a word for it in the professional pool, too. I think it's a, a double dump. I think you dump both ways. Ah, I see. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, because pool has a real hard problem with that. Like, uh, like say if uh, I uh, if I'm a pool player and you're a rich guy, I say, listen, Chael, I got a fucking game and I can't go wrong here, buddy. I am I am robbing this guy. Come on, let's put up 500 bucks and let's make some money. And uh, I go to them and I go, listen, let's here's the deal. I'm gonna lose and we'll just fucking split this 70-30 and cut it up right now. We got ourselves a big chunk of cash. Wow. And so there's no real match going on in the first place. Sure. They, they had already decided that they were going to dump and they were going to split up this guy's money. That's him and a friend got together and they pretended to be rivals so they could gamble. Yep. And he would dump to this guy. I can't fucking make a ball. I don't know what's going sure, on. Sure. And they just cut the out that dude's money. Typical Digstown yeah. hustle. And sure. then, you know, the two of them get together after the show and split up half that right. guy's money. Or seventy percent, right. whatever they you know agreed upon. Different guys would make sure. different deals, but it, uh, it was always a, a big problem to the point where they had uh, the only time Vegas allowed them to gamble on pool ever. They uh, they set it up so it was one of their big tournaments, and all they did was make they found who's the number one guy most least likely to win. Forty to one odds. Okay, we're all gonna let that guy win. <laughs> we're gonna just gonna gamble all of our money and fucking get paid. Right. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, that's unfortunate that happened. I mean, I, I can see where that would happen. But that is unfortunate because in, in, in some weird walk of society, that is sport. That does involve timing and accuracy and training. So it's unfortunate yeah. when guys, when it guys do that. But I think I get it. I mean, I, I, I guess I understand. I, I, can like it, understand, I understand it. I can understand betting on yourself. I can understand if you're some wild motherfucker like Bernard Hopkins who says, I'm going to go bet $100,000 $100, on myself, you know, because that's how, how much I know I'm going to win this fight. I like that. I don't like the option of doing it the other way. Betting on your opponent. Betting on your yeah, opponent you and taking that. a dive. The now, fact that, that that's possible, you know, the fact that you could get your friend to do it, the fact that there have been unethical dumps before without a doubt. Sure. No, no doubt about it. I mean, we, we all know of them. 
You know, yeah, I don't know if you've ever bet on a UFC fight, but I don't know if you if you haven't, then you wouldn't know this. But the way it works, you know, in a lot of gambling halls, you would imagine, well, if I show up, it's four to one odds, and I put fifty grand down, I got fifty grand at four to one. It doesn't work that way. If, if you go to bet at a sports book in Vegas on a UFC fight, this isn't the same for for everything, but for UFC because there's not enough money coming in, you can only bet X amount at a time. Then they reset the line, and then you got to bet mm. it again. I like, went in well, a bet on the number. Well, I bet on Henderson when he fought Vandalay. Now, this was a number of years. I think 2006 could have been 2007. And they only let me bet 500. Henderson oh. was a three to one underdog. So I go 500, 500, 500. And I, you know, I got to my $3,000 limit and I had to go to three different casinos. Now, I'm quite sure with the influx of the sport that it'd be closer to 10,000. But I'm quite sure it's not over. How, how confident were you though? That's pretty fucking badass. Just yeah. keep going to casino after casino. I felt good. It was win. good, you know. And and you know that's when Vandal. I mean, nobody could beat Vandal. He yeah. had that reputation like Mike Tyson was yeah. was hanging on to for a while, you know. But you're talking about Dan Henderson. You're talking about one of the baddest dudes to ever live. He's a fucking tank. He's something else, man. And, and I knew it was gonna be a good fight too. Yeah. I didn't know it was gonna be a walk in the park, but uh, you got to bet on your guy. Yeah. Well, you know, Henderson is a fucking tank, man. He's a tank. He's one of those dudes where you, you pat him in the back and it feels like there's something wrong. Like, why, why are you so dense? Right. Like, what the fuck is this? And he turns around to look at y'all stiff. He can hardly <laughs> move. <laughs> if his teeth are up. Oh, hey, what are you doing? You know, gives you some insult of some sort. That's yeah, something. His gay. way of saying hello. <laughs> you know, some mean-spirited uh, knock that last, for some reason is charming when he does it. Last time I saw him, he goes, what, did you get another fucking tattoo? I go, you sound <laughs> like my mom. <laughs> yeah. He always, he always. Always is something mean as his greeting. You this know? is my favorite Dan Henderson story. We were in uh, Caroline's Comedy Club in New York, and there's this guy that was heckling. He wouldn't shut the fuck up. And I go, listen, man, if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm going to have Dan Henderson come over here and hold you down while he fucks your girlfriend. The crowd goes nuts, and Dan goes, why would I hold him down when I could just stare him down? <laughs> I'm telling That's you, the good. fucking place erupted. The fucking place erupted, That's and it was work. like one of the creepiest things I ever heard a man say to another man <laughs> ever. Like you could see the dude, the the dude just wanted to crawl out of the room and just just hide somewhere. Yeah. The, the feeling of looking over at that fucking savage after he just says something like that to you, and you're like, oh, let it change. Right. Let me get out of here. Well, and Henderson broke <laughs> etiquette. You know, there's an etiquette amongst men. If one guy's with a girl and one guy's not, you, you're you always wrong. You let him sl you let him look like a hero. You know, yeah. then it comes back to you someday. Well, I think in that situation, it was there was 350 fucking people in that crowd. That guy was a jackass. He was drunk. Dan Henderson was there, and he was like, well, I'll shut this fucking dummy up. Right. So oh, I like he, it. It's a beautiful he line. Yeah, he essentially, like, uh, trumped my, my heckler comment. Like, I, I had shut him down, and then Henderson came along and put the nuclear bomb on top of it. Right. He put the H, but the <laughs> verbal H bomb. The verbal on H bomb I'm on impressed. top of it. I'm impressed. Good work by Dan. It was very good work. On the spot like that, the best line you could have ever written. Sure. You can't write anything creepier than that. Yeah. Why would I hold him down when I could just stare him down? Right. That's that's a, a guy has to think like that. In order to have that thought in his head, in order to be able to to say that verbally. I mean, if you're going to be a writer and you're going to come up with that, it might take you 6 hours alone doing cocaine and drinking coffee to pretend you're the type of guy that would think that way to have that line come out of your character's mouth. Sure. It took Dan Henderson one half of one second. Sure. He just waited. Well, this is the same guy that volunteered to fight Dos Santos three yeah. weeks ago to, yeah. to move up, arguably two weight. You know, because truly yeah. he's he's a middleweight. Yeah. He chooses to fight at light heavyweight. Yeah. He doesn't like cutting principle. weight. Right. So truly, he'd be going up two weight. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He's, he's a, great. He's, he's a great. fucking he's animal. He's something else, man. He's an animal. This 
There's, there's not, and those guys, they almost all come from wrestling. The guys like that Henderson stock, there's, there's guys that can push through pain, and then there's wrestlers. There's, like, there's another level of, of mental strength, of uh, the ability to endure. And what you were talking about going through when you were a kid, like being malnourished and fucking you know, traveling on buses and wherever the hell you're going to these sure. different wrestling meets not to, enough sleep, and yeah. not getting enough sleep and how difficult, and you had to do schoolwork as well sure. and how difficult all that is. That the, the mental toughness that wrestlers develop from that ridiculous, pra- first of all, from fucking cutting weight all the time, just to be able to, people like to feel so good hard. when they compete. They yeah. like to feel great and charged up and confident. I had so many friends when I was wrestling that would be like, there was this kid named Mark Collins who was a really good wrestler. Really, really good. But he would, he would cut down to like 118 pounds. He was a little guy anyway. Mm-hmm. But he would cut down like real, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it was like 120-something. Sure. We were in high school. There was 118. It, was. Well, it used to be 118. Was it 118? It used to be. But he, the fucking guy was never happy. He would always just have this dour look in his face. Life sucked. He was just walking around, just always hungry. And, you know, it, it stunted my friend Steve's growth. My friend Steve, all of his brothers are like six foot two, six foot one, six foot three. Big fucking guys. He's five six. Because all throughout high school, just fucking dieting. Sure. Di- going through re- regular wrestling and then going off to camps and never, never allowed to like actually eat like full meals for a, a normal long period of time and grow like a normal man. It's like he essentially grew up impoverished. Right. You know? Yeah, Crazy. and it's tough. You know, you talk about how hard the weight cut is. And for us, for our sport of, of MMA, it's a 24-hour weigh-in. I mean, you weigh in, the show starts 24 hours later. In wrestling, it's a one-hour weigh-in. And not only that, Joe, the national tournament, the whole reason you wrestle, is a three-day tournament with three weigh-ins. Oh so you weigh in, God. you do two matches, you cut weight that night, you weigh in again, you do two matches, you cut weight oh that night, you come back for the, the championship. So, God. yeah, so I mean, you're, you're talking guys that aren't sleeping, they're just, they're just, they're cut weight nonstop, boom, time to wrestle. I mean, how, you know, how do you do it? And it, it really is where the rubber meets the road. Sometimes the best wrestler often that had the best season, 35 and 0, will not even place at the national tournament because, you know, where he used to weigh in, have 24 hours, get on the mat, he'd win a dual meet. Tournament style, one hour weigh-in, you're on the mat. Next morning, weigh-in again. And so is that, like, um, indicative of a style of competing? Like, some guys, like Frankie Edgar, don't cut any weight at all. Other guys, is, is that the case in wrestling as well? Like, some guys would try to cut the most amount of weight. Sure. But other guys would think that the best way to do it was be entirely healthy and just be natural and deal with a guy yeah. who's yeah, larger. Yeah, you see that all the time, you know, and there's some guys that, well, I got a little bit more speed. This guy, you know, he's going to come in the ring at 220. I'm going to come in at 204 but I'm going to be a little bit faster than him. And that's where Dan Henderson's made a living. Yeah. You know, Dan Henderson's beat multiple heavyweight world champions, yeah. one from uh, Big Nog to uh, yeah, Fedor. Um, those, those, are, those are heavyweights, but when, he when did used he fight that little Big bit Nog? of speed. Did he, he fought get Big armbar by Japan. Big Nog? Well, yes, he absolutely did, but that was the rematch. He fought him in a tournament called Rings? King of Rings. Okay, so that wasn't really MMA? Like you weren't allowed to uh, do certain things like strike on the ground? Right? Well, there was wasn't some that? stuff that was held back, and you could strike on the ground. Like I want to say it was maybe? open palm. You know, open palm. Like Definitely no soccer kicks or pride rules. But, right. I mean, it was considered – I considered MMA, absolutely. He fought Gilbert, Gilbert Ivo. Because when you're on your feet, right. you could do everything. Right. It was something about with the takedown. I believe it was an open palm to the head. Isn't that crazy when you see, like, old Boss Rutten style pancreas fights? Sure. Like, what a weird fucking hybrid of the yeah. two. For folks who don't know, you were allowed to kick – with, you know, you had these, like, boots on that had shin pads on them, but you weren't allowed to punch the face. Instead, you could slap people mm-hmm. full blast. Right. And Boss Rutten figured out a way how to pull his hand back 
way far. And when he would throw, sl- I don't know, I, I can't even bend my hand back the way he would do it. And he would essentially be punching you with his palms. Yeah, the palm strike. Yeah, he got so good at just punching, throwing like punching techniques in the palms, whereas everybody else had kind of yeah. like, they hadn't figured that out yet, and they were slapping each other. Yeah, but Boss was a master of that. I loved watching Boss's old fights yeah. over there. When but he, some of those were fugazi, too. You, you know, some of that pancreas stuff you'd watch. Yep. Go, no, wait a minute. Yeah. Come on. No doubt. No doubt. There was definitely some, some fixed fights. It's weird that some guys don't want to admit that, but now I think they should. I think they kind of owe it to history. You know, we, we know that there was a lot of real fights for sure, but sure. There, was also, there was no question about it. There were some that were a little funky. You know, but that comes back to the point I made earlier that both guys aren't necessarily in on it in Japan. Right. You know, Crow Cop, those guys really think they won, and if you tell them they didn't, I mean, you're talking about really hurting a guy's feelings where he gets, you know, he gets fighting mad. Uh, over that, and you go, hey, listen. What fights? Eventually, history will, will will come out and and show itself for what it is. But you know what fight? That's really hard because I don't know all those guys' name. But but Krokop fought one guy that wore a pro wrestling mask. He is a pro wrestler. He, he wrestles under the name of. Uh, uh, Dos Caros? Yes, uh, uh, Alberto Del Rio is what his name is. Okay. But, of course, you already know that. That's what he comes out and says. He's a very funny guy. And he's talked about it a lot. Of yeah, they brought me. I don't even think about it. i got to fight this Crow Cop. He's, eventually, he's going to throw a head kick, and i got to make it look real. You know, he's talked about it. Crow Cop, would, would be, he'd be stunned to hear that, I, I believe. I believe Crow Cop did not know that these were fake. Now, I didn't have that realization when I first outed him. I, had, I, I came to when he responded. I thought, you know what? He's either an Academy Award winner or he truly doesn't know. And then you start to hear from some other guys where they go, look, you, you didn't always know. The promoter come to your locker room. So that wrestling guy, when Crow Cop kicked him, though, he really fucking kicked that guy in the head. Yeah. It's just the guy sort of like just took it. Yeah, and the guy's just got to go down and boom, the well, referee. He was bleeding. The remember? referee with Blood the Blood was coming piece. through the mask. Well, this could be a di- Is that the same guy? Yeah, and is if it, it wasn't, mask? if it was fake, what a fucking great touch. Sure. Because the mask, if they had like a little blood packet right. there and when Crow Cop slaps it, blood comes out. Yeah. I mean, what a great touch that would be. But, you know, you see a kick coming. You go, okay, this is the one I got paid for. You take it. It could, it could cause a, a, a kick. Jesus. I had a buddy that, that, that went down, and he was by no means doing a dive. He was just ready to quit. He was just he just wanted out of there. So, you know, and fighters will do this a lot where something's not going right, and they got it's time to go home. And, you know, they'll usually the rear naked choke is the big one for, hey, get me out of here. But uh, so my buddy decides that he's going to go down on a, on a fake knockout. So we're in Bodog <laughs> in Costa Rica. <laughs> Dan, uh, this guy named Dan uh, Stevenson, the big Viking guy, used to fight in the UFC a couple times. Dan Christensen, is that what his name was? Anyway, Dan throws the punch. My buddy Jeremiah goes down. The punch missed. Jeremiah goes down. But the referee, Troy Waugh, doesn't catch it in time. So now my buddy who's out cold, well, now Dan Christensen is going to come down for the finish because the ref hasn't called it. So my buddy who's pretending has to come back to life. He has to come back to life to like lay there and go for TKO. So when you watch on the replay, you're like, wait a minute. Thought you were out cold. How come when he came oh, down? You know, it was pretty bad. But, you know, you see that stuff all the time. And that's not to say the score uh, sports fugazi. That's just that's competition. What you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do when I'm fighting is make the other guy quit. What he does has to do when he's ready to quit is make it look like he got, you know, that's just part of it. And nobody wants to talk about that. In fact, one guy did. One guy talked about it in Ohio. And the Ohio, I can't think of what his name was. A former UFC fighter, Rashad, kicked him in the head. Sean Salomon, that's what his name is. Sean talked about, hey, this wasn't my night. I gave him an arm and I tapped out and got out of there. He was very candid. And he got in trouble for it. He got in Canada because they, they thought he yeah. was throwing a fight. He's, eh. 
and he he but what he was doing was he was letting people into the psyche of an athlete yeah. who's breaking. Yeah. He's breaking and it's an ugly deep secret and we've all done it as athletes whether it's in practice or in the ring and we're greatly shameful of it. So what he did is he just let people in and go, "Look, this is what happened. I broke down mentally." The commissioner comes out and and suspends him for it. It's like, "Well, commissioner, obviously you've never competed. We can we can see that." Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, that is what exactly what it is when a guy gives up an arm. He's trying yeah. to save himself and yeah, he's, he's save saving himself. a little dignity. Oh, I got caught, you know. Yeah, that's that that is an issue. The the real issue of people regulating athleticism where they don't understand the psychology behind being an athlete, sure. especially a combat athlete. You know, like there was an issue that I had, and we'll, we don't name any names here, but it was when you, uh, you, someone had questioned you about you fake tapping against uh, Paulo Filio. Paulo Filio. And, you know, and I, my take on that is to, for you to ask a man what he's thinking right then in the middle of an incredibly emotional situation where he's losing a fight, he knows it's over, he got locked up in it, and he's thinking, there's got to be a fucking way out of this. There's got to be a way. You want to win so bad, you say something that you're ashamed of later. Sure. And to, but to say that that thing that you were ashamed of that you did represents your character or your sensibilities or your honesty – I think is a bit disingenuous. To, to be judged in that moment, yeah. in that vulnerable, awful, devastating moment, yeah. is not right. It's especially for someone who has, when you have competed at a high level for a number of years, like you have, it's almost like you could be considered like almost like a slightly crazy person. Like your fanaticism for victory, your your need to compete and excel. It be it. The only way to get really fucking good is you got to be a little crazy. You Absolutely. just have to be, and you got to want to fucking win. You can't be happy with any any other result. You cannot be happy, or you won't achieve your full potential. And that sometimes equates to people fucking up. It sometimes equates to breaking. It, it equates to mental lapses. It equates sure. to a lot of different things. You know, I had to respond to that. I had a, a, a person, again, let's make sure we keep him on name, but he wanted a response to that. I'm going, geez, you know, if I'm to be candid with you, if I get tapped out in front of a sold-out audience that was aired on live worldwide television and I then lie about doing it, the only person I'm lying to is myself. You know, that's it. The only If I'm trying to fool someone, if I'm in denial, you know, and, I, and me, I could be anybody. I could be Chael or I could be, you know, Fighter X. But if he's doing that, if a person look, the only person you're lying to is yourself. Did the guy file, file a complaint with the commission? Well, that's within the rules. Uh, you know, you know, what did the guy do? If, you, if he's forcing you to make a ruling, go ahead. But you know, to, like you said, and let's also not forget one now, when you file a complaint. How much of that is gamesmanship because you're trying to get a rematch anyway and the whole game is about making more money? I'll tell you what, Joe, in my entire career, I couldn't name one person that's ever filed a complaint. I know they've been filed, but I literally couldn't tell wow. you one guy that's, that's done amazing. it. And I know some guys think, hey, listen, there was a misapplication of the rules. I really like a review, and I understand that. But, I, again, I, I couldn't say, state a case for you. But, you know, there's, there's other things like the First Amendment. I've got the right to say I didn't tap in any single fight that I want. Okay, <laughs> the second one fight ends, the marketing for the next fight begins. And if a fighter chooses to do that, he's got everywhere. There's nothing within the rules of a commission to say what a guy's going to say in his post-fight uh, interview. That's that's silly. Of so you not. will say 
you're, you're essentially admitting that you will say untruthful things just in order to keep the, the hype going and that people should not misinterpret. This is a blurry line. Yeah, for me, no. A pro wrestling I, I, blurry yeah, line I'm there. Not, I'm not saying that for me. But, I'm, you know, if, I, if I'm saying me, I just mean an athlete in general. Okay. And it could be any sport. But first off, an athlete is not under oath. Right. So he can come out and say right. whatever he wants. He's just a person. Right. And secondly, if one competition ends, it could be baseball or fighting or whatever. The, 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 the makings and the matchmaking and, and the shuffling and the politicking for the next event begins. Yeah. And for somebody to come in and, and, and want an answer for that and, and try to attempt to regulate you is beyond inappropriate. Mm. I mean, I would, I would want to say it's illegal. Again, it comes down to First Amendment. I can say whatever he wants. In a post-fight interview or post-match interview or game or well, whatever it is. I want to take myself out of this now. And right. Just, you know, a person in general. Come on, he can say whatever he well, wants. Especially if you're, especially if you're considering that part of you as a as an athlete to be sort of performance art. You're you're actually you have an act. I mean, and that act enhances your overall brand. I mean, when you, when you go out there and you talk a bunch of crazy shit, whether or not you believe in it, and people start talking about you, it becomes monetarily advantageous to do that. Sure. You make more money that way. Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I think a perfect, perfect example, you know, UFC 100, all of his fights. You know, yeah. Brock was always fun to listen to. You want to know who else is fun is Quentin Jackson. Yes. You know, Quentin finishes a fight. We all sit there in the living room. Wait, wait, wait. Quentin's about to talk. And he right. says something funny, whether yeah. he, you know, gives you a hard time or he's black on black crime, inviting people <laughs> to an after party. You know, it's funny. And that's and that's part yeah. of the show that people paid for. So that's not to say a fighter or, again, any athlete has to do that. But if he chooses to, he's got to be considered outside the scope of the regulatory body. I mean, talk yeah. about them overstepping. That's that's beyond inappropriate. Well, I, I certainly think you should be able to ask a guy. After he's fucking taking a shower and oh, tell us what happened. Oh, I fucked up. I said I didn't tap. Like, I was just yeah. losing my mind in there. Sure. Yeah. But, but even if he doesn't, if he wants to take it to the grave, yeah. let's not forget the guy doesn't owe you anything. He's right. not under subpoena. He owes you nothing, including the truth, if that's his choice. So for a government official, because that's how this, this started, as you were talking mm -hmm. about a government, for a government official to get involved and act as though he's going to suspend or uphold somebody's license because he didn't like something that he said in the media – is inappropriate. I agree. Now, what happened to you? I'm I'm a I'm a fascinated I'm I'm fascinated personally by big leaps in development. I'm I'm always uh, fascinated when you hear about a guy. Well, yeah, he was a blue belt, and then something happened. And he went into a few seminars, and before you know it, he's fucking killing everybody at the Mundials. You went from UFC was it UFC sixty that you fought Jeremy Horn? Yeah. You were having some tough fights, I'm man. I'm very impressed that you know that, by the way. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. You see a lot of shows. Um, I can't remember where my fucking car keys are, but I'll tell you random UFC sure. facts. <laughs> I have no idea where I put my cell phone. But, but you, um, you fought Jeremy Horn, and then was something happened between then and when you had a resurgence, which was um, – Say what? What do you what, what do you attribute your resurgence to? Like what year do you think you it's know, really I, started? I know where you're going with this, and let let me jump ahead. You know what you're saying is, hey, I had some major submission problems, and all of a sudden I started submitting some guys. Well, not just that, man. You became a more confident guy. You, um, I don't want to say, undermine your confidence before because I didn't know you. I meant, uh, I mean the the way you presented yourself. I should say, um, you you got way better at marketing yourself, and you started fucking dominating top five. It's like you hit your own. You had a, a personal wall, yeah. and you got through that fucking thing. You got through that fucking thing, and you made a big leap. 
You know, and when when you fought Nate Marquardt, I think that was the fight that really opened up a lot of people's eyes. It's like, whoa, like Chael Sonnen's a motherfucker. I remember me and Eddie Bravo had dinner after that. And it was like, how about that power double? God damn. It's like Nate could not keep you off of him. And we were we were thinking about it. And it was like, wow, what a nightmare. It's like you had you had figured out a way to get all of your potential out inside the octagon. What happened? I appreciate that. And, you know. You don't know in training either. For for me, I had a fight with Yushin Okami. He was ranked number two in the world, and I, I was just one of those guys that was kind of looked at as a top ten. That was right before I fought Nate Morquardt, and it gave me a lot of confidence. But here's what happened, Joe. I, I have never lost a round of fighting. And and when I say that, sometimes a guy will laugh, you know, because I've lost some fights. But I've never lost a round. I, I've never had a fight where, where a judge ever scored a round against me until my last match with Bisping. So at, at the point of your story, though, I, I sit down one day and I'm looking at it. I'm on SureDog.com. I bring myself up. I'm looking at my record. I've won every round I've ever fought. I've never been in a tough fight. I've never had stitches. I've never broken it. I've dominated everybody, and I've lost eight fights. And I lost all of them by submission, and I lost all of them in the second round. And I'm staring at that on the computer. I'm staring at these numbers like a CEO would his spreadsheet. And I'm saying, there's something going on here, and it's not physical. There's something going on that I can dominate eight minutes of a fight, seven minutes of a fight, nine minutes of a fight, and find a way out time after time after time in the same round with the same move. And so I, find, I, went, and got, I went and got help. I went and got professional help. And uh, I sought out a doctor, Ed Versteg. Uh, I hate talking about this because this was a real it was a real turning point for me is when I went in, worked on sports psychology, got hypnotized. I was never the same. I was never the same in practice. My attitude was different, uh, controlling my diet, being disciplined, falling asleep, the way I approached battle, the way I approached the second round, everything changed. And it changed to the point where I hate to say what I just said and now it's too late. Uh, because I felt like it was my secret. Mm -hmm. I discovered, and I don't want other people to know. I'll write about it someday in a book. I'll talk about it, you know, when I'm retired, but I'm not going to tell anybody because it's competitive edge. And when I started seeing a sports psychologist, when I finally came clean, you know, it was like being an alcoholic. Before you can get help, you got to admit you have a problem. And when I finally admitted I got a problem, when I finally said it, when I finally could acknowledge and look somebody in the eye and tell them this is what's going on, I'm finding a way to lose as opposed to win. I work harder than these guys. I've been at this longer. I've, I'm losing. I know how to stop submissions. I'm finding my way into them. I'm finding a way out. And that's what's happening. And I had to acknowledge that. And once I did it, I, I never lost again. I lost to Paulo, which was, you know, the controversial one. I lost to, to Anderson after dominating him. I, I've never been beat since, since I saw this doctor. That's incredible. Now, Joe, let me ask you a question. Are you ever allowed to give a shout-out on the show? Like, do you ever say hi to anybody? <laughs> like, if I was to say hi, Brittany, because my girlfriend just texted me on and said show? she's watching oh, this show, and I mentioned the name Brittany to earn myself special points, is that going to tick you off? Because I won't <laughs> do it. I'm not even going to say Brittany if that's going to be like no. a cheap plug and you're going to no. get mad. I'll do it. Hello, Brittany. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, buddy. You're welcome, Very nice pal. to see you. That's a, a beautiful story, man. I knew there must have had to been something on the mental side because um, – you know, I, I remember, as you do, that the Yushin Okami fight was a, an excellent performance. And uh, I, I remember being real impressed with that, but even more so impressed with the Nate Marquardt fight. Because, you know, I knew that Yushin was a grappler, and I wasn't surprised that you were a, a stronger grappler than him. But I was surprised that Nate Marquardt just couldn't stop you from taking him down. He just could not stop you. And the way you were doing it, you were ragdolling him to the point where we were like, Jesus, like, this guy's a fucking nightmare for a lot of dudes, man. And we started, like, then we started doing the matchups. You know, you start thinking in your head, what about him? But when you fought Anderson, man, 
Woo! That was uh, that was a crazy fight, man. For four minutes, or for uh, four rounds, and how many minutes into the fifth round? Four minutes and thirty-one seconds. But who's keeping track? Four minutes and thirty-one seconds of a, of a five-minute round, motherfucker. What was that like? What was that like when it happened? It was devastating. I'll I'll tell you what they. I had no idea what was happening in that fight. None. And uh, when the fight was over. I was devastated, and, and they, 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 you know, I came to, and I said to the ref, you know, the typical thing, like a doofus, what happened? Right. The referee, Josh Rosenthal, is a fantastic referee, simply says, you tapped out. And he looks at me for a response like I was going to argue, and I simply say, I believe you. Now, I knew that because ESPN zoomed in on that and, and showed it, but that's all I said. I said, I believe you, and, I, and that was Do it. Do you I, remember what happened when you, when you were – did you uh, think of tapping and you went out? Like, what happened? No, I, I remember falling asleep. You know, it's a very weird experience if, if you've ever been – and I know you practice it, so you have been, but it's a very weird experience, you know, when you're actually going to sleep, and you, but you're trying to, to, to stay within reality. And I remember having a dream thinking, well, if I tap, I could get out of this. Now nah, let's not tap. The fight was over. And, you know, I, so you had already tapped and you didn't even know. I'd already tapped. I hit his foot. And I didn't fully know what happened. When it was over and I came to, I didn't fully know what happened. I'm trying to figure out what just happened. Yeah. Most and, people, by the way, who have never been choked out will never be able to understand that. And they'll, they'll call, like, fake tap and this and that. But unless you've, done, if, unless you've been choked, you really don't understand how confusing it is. Sure. There's oh, a lot of guys who don't. They don't know what happened right when they wake up. Yeah. It's a mess. And, and, I, and I'm one of those guys. I was with the other people where I would always see fighters go, what happened after they got knocked? I was like, Come on, dummy, you know what happened. No, you don't. You well, sure Especially don't. from a concussion. Yeah, especially you, from KOs. You absolutely don't know. You know, so aside from being choked, you know, don't, for, don't forget I've got fatigue issues. I got blood and Vaseline in my eyes. I got exhaustion. I got uh, anxiety. I got exceed. I'm a normal human being. I feel every emotion. So many people say to me, oh, you're never scared. Oh, come on. I'm a human. I feel it all. But, uh, you know, so, what, so I lose the fight. We go in the back, and they bring me the, the fight of the night check. They pay you immediately if you get a bonus. Boom, here, here's your check. And I remember thinking, you gave me that out of sympathy because that was such a boring fight, you know. Nothing happened. You gave me that out of sympathy. I'll take it. You know, and I'm fighting back the tears. I'm just devastated, you know. I'm absolutely devastated by this defeat. And later, the fight gets named not only fight of the night. It was called fight of the year. We won the award from uh, Fighters Only Magazine, which puts on the award show. Uh, for fight of the year. So it ended up being a really good fight. But my, my point that I'm trying to get at, is that's how out of touch I was with what was happening in the ring. You know, at one point, my cornerman told me it's round four when it was round five, or he told me it was round four when it was round three. Whatever it was, the corner had the rounds off. Um, you know, the instruction I was getting was a little bit off. And uh, I just didn't fully know what was going on. And, and in this next fight, I'd like to, you know, as I visualize and plan for it, that's one of the things I'd like to be a little more aware and a little more in touch with what's happening. But uh, it's hard. It's hard in the octagon, man. A lot of stuff goes out the window. You get hit. You get kicked. You get. Uh, it's tough. It's tough to stay focused. How tough is it to describe to someone who's never had that experience? It's almost impossible. You know, I almost can't do it. It's like when you, you know an executive director comes at you and, and wants to know, like we were talking about earlier, hey, why'd you do this? And you're kind of going, you know. I don't really know how to put it into words, and I don't mean this condescendingly, but obviously you've never been in that spot uh, because it's one of those indescribable feelings. And when you have victory, that's also an indescribable feeling. When you make that walk in front of 17,000 people screaming, cheering, booing, whatever it is, that's also an indescribable feeling. Uh, 
so it's a very unique sport. And, you know, people will always ask me on game day, are you ready? Are you excited? And it, are you scared? You know, you'll get these questions. And the answer is no. But I can't tell you what I am either. For all the human emotions that have definitions, I don't know how to describe what it's like on fight day. It's a combination of many things. And if we're going to be truthful, most of them are unpleasant. It's a very uh, stressful situation. You know, you're walking into battle. You've prepared for this, and it's all on the line, and it's on the line in front of everybody. And there's a great relief if you have victory and a great despair if you have defeat. Absolutely. Proportionately. You used a very interesting word there that surprised me. That you, you, you said relief. You didn't say happy. You said relief. And, Joe, you could not be more correct. I, I had a fight with Brian Stan after I was out for 14 months dealing after the Anderson loss. I had to deal with the commission. I had to go back and deal with these guys. I got this suspension. I got it, everything puts me out for 14 months. It was eight days later before I was back to myself emotionally because all I was for that week plus was relieved. It was the ultimate exhale of my life. It, I wasn't happy I won. I wasn't excited. I was relieved it was over. I was just relieved that I made it through. You know, from the way into the process to the licensing to the battle, I made it through and got out of there. That's very interesting that you used that word. Well, I used to experience that relief from Taekwondo tournaments, which in comparison to MMA is absolutely it's benign. I mean, it's not not even remotely as as draining, as physically demanding, as scary, you know, all the above, but I I still would get a great relief when in, when I was when I was done. You know, I'd go through a tournament It'd be over. I could rest for a couple of weeks. I wouldn't have to think. And then when I finally stopped competing completely, it was the weirdest feeling ever. This weird feeling of not worrying about six months in the future, like don't have a drink now because if you do, what if you wind up getting drunk and then you can't train as well tomorrow and then six weeks in the future, you're, you're off and you lose because you fucked up and you slacked yeah. off. There was always this impending doom cycle. With MMA, it's got to be 100,000 times that. Now, now, Joe, last time I tried to sneak out of here to go to the bathroom, you made an ass, but Joe, you're going to urinate. Don't tell anybody. It embarrasses me. Oh, I like I'm to sorry. sneak out like a little kid. I'm sorry. So don't mention it. I won't say okay, I'm going to run out. But okay. I don't want you to tell everybody. I won't even okay. talk about it. Are you going to snap? Okay, one now off? Joe, I want to tell you this though. Okay. When I come back, yes. Because I don't know what our timeline is, but I have a story want. that okay. I want to make sure I tell. Do you know who DB Cooper is? Yes, I do. Bring him up when I come back. Okay, I will. Do <laughs> <laughs> Powerful chill son and is ladies he, and Is he making a poopy? I don't know what he's doing. I'm not. I don't ask a man. <laughs> ask a man what kind of uh, movements he's doing. So that, that, that note, that Samsung Galaxy Note or whatever. Oh, we're talking about that giant cell phone. Yeah. It's amazing. It, it, it's, uh, it's, if, as no one's seen it, it's pretty much maybe this big. It's 5.3 inches. 5.3. So it's like, it's, it's like almost like a yeah. small Kindle or it's something. It's a small tablet, and it's a phone, and it slips into your pocket, and it has a, a crazy processor, really ridiculously fast. Giant screen. You can draw on pictures like suck it. I'm here with stupid. You can take pictures and like you can draw on them. You, when you watch web pages on it, it's incredible. It's the best cell phone web experience ever. There's been a lot of talks that the iPad's going to have a smaller version, like a seven inch version of well, it. So it's unless a it's a bit phone, bigger. I don't give a fuck. If yeah. it, they should make a five inch phone. Yeah. Just make it. Stop Five. it. We like big shit. I, I use my phone half the time to look at my email, half the time to, you know, I mean, between 
50 and 60% of the time is not making phone calls. Right. It's doing other cool shit, getting online. You, know? you don't think a pocket thing is going to be a pain in the ass? I, I bet that note is just a pain, like having an old trio well, in your pocket or something. I'm glad you asked this, Brian, because I have recently gone back to the fanny pack. I got a new oh. one. I ordered one from Roots because Andrew Dice Clay had it when we were doing the podcast with him the other day. Remember that? Yeah, you got it. You got, yeah, you I got, got Dice Clay. I, I did get a little jealous of his <laughs> fantastically designed fanny pack. I was like, that's a real goddamn fanny pack so i ordered one online and two days later i got it i'm, I'm very happy so i'd carry that note around gladly <laughs> inside my fanny pack i'm bringing back the fanny pack strong by the way shout out to chris lieben there was photos of chris lieben in hawaii wearing a fanny pack way to go chris well done keep on rocking in the free world you know you, you bring up chris lieben if i can jump in here real fast i don't know if i'm interrupting something but uh uh I threw an, an event. I threw an event. It was like an after party with Chael. And it was a colossal failure. Nobody shows up. We got 18 people. We got this whole bar to ourselves. You know, we got drinks. We got a DJ. We, it's a massive failure. So we end up turning the radio off. And we all just end up sitting down and talking. And by the end of the night, it couldn't have gone any better. I know everybody. I, okay, this guy's on his, uh, you know, his honeymoon. This guy's wife bought him presents. These, these guys, it's their anniversary. These, I know everybody in the room. I know them by name. I know what city they're from. We, we spent about three hours talking. And I'm telling them stories. I'm telling them stories of UFC, behind-the-scenes stuff, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm running out of stories. They're like, tell us another story. And I'm like, you know who has great stories? Is Chris Levin. The problem is he never answers his phone. So they're like, call Chris, you know. So I'm getting peer pressure here. So I'm calling Chris on speaker. I call him. He answers his phone. I go, Levin, it's Chael. I'm at an after party. You're on speaker. I got about 20 people here. They can all hear you. I I've been telling stories, and I'm out. I need you to tell one. And he's like, you want to tell him a story? Why don't you tell him about the time that my mom hit a deer, loaded it in the back of her hatchback, forgot about it for two weeks, then her and my uncle come over, throw it on the kitchen table, cut it up with chainsaws. I've been in my room. I've been punished because I got sent home from school on a detention, so they make me sample the meat to make sure it's not rancid, and I end up in the hospital for three weeks with E. coli. Why don't you tell him that story? He doesn't miss a beat. He just rattles this story off. He, <laughs> he puts this whole party on its head. I mean, these people, nobody they are in shock including me i'm in shock wait a minute your mother i gotta go chris i gotta go thanks and i just hang oh up the phone and, and and because he did that for me because he told the story to this disaster party that i threw i've always been grateful and indebted to him like chris i owe you one. you know you saved me uh so there's my shout out to chris lee but how's that for a great story that's a fucking great story yeah. oh it's Holy insane shit what a childhood Wow. Oh, he can go on and on. Mm. Chris has some other great stories, you know. Wow. Some guys have it rough, man. That's rough. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. Chris is, uh, Chris, Chris's aunt and uncle greatly raised him. So he goes out on, uh, uh, what do you call it, jet skiing or whatever, whatever you do on the water skiing. And he's out with his uncle, and, and his uncle is drinking. And they T-bone a boat. And his, his aunt, the uncle's wife, is back on the shore sunbathing. She doesn't go out with them. They T-bone a boat, and they hurt the people. So the, the people, the, the wife goes over, and they're helping. The wife of the other boat is going over. So they get the husband and the wife on the boat. And, you know, she's not that bad, but she fell over, and her boat doesn't run anymore. So the uncles tell them, listen, listen, I've been drinking. I don't have insurance, but I really will make this up right with you if you just don't call the police. So oh as a God. matter of fact, here's my name. Here's my number. Just please call me and let's settle this. So yeah, anything. Just get us to shore. You know, I got to get to the hospital, have my leg looked at. They pull up to the shore. 
the the aunt stands up because she sees there's some woman on the boat. She wants to know what the hell's going on. So she gets a little bit closer and she sees this woman is holding Chris's uncle's a, a, a piece of paper with his name and number on it. She has no idea she's been T-boned. She has no idea they've rescued him, taken them to the hospital, and it's her husband's fault. And she, she sees the number with his name on it. It says, that's my husband, bitch, and slaps the woman oh, who's no. on her way to the hospital because she got oh, T-boned no. by the uncle. So this is Chris's childhood. So, oh. you know, you like the Chris Liebenstor. I could go on and on and on. As a matter of fact, I bought for $100, I bought a bunch of Chris Lieben stories, but they backfired. <laughs> but yeah, but then he started telling people that these were his stories. It's like, Chris, that's not true story that's my story that didn't happen with your uncle my uncle did this and he doubled and i got the idea from a seinfeld where kramer bought a bunch of peterman stories so i paid chris and everything he took the money and then he still was trying to claim this stuff happened to him so it didn't really work out for me how did you keep this story straight in your head well, I just knew because he's got three crazy stories. He's and got so this story. How many about, did you buy? I bought them all. I bought the whole <laughs> gamut. We went to Japan together. It's a nine-hour flight, and so he told story after story. So I bought. I said, "I'll give you a hundred bucks for those stories." <laughs> but he didn't know how it worked. He apparently thought this was some funny deal where he takes my money and goes buys a little sake and sushi for. It's like, no, no, no. Those are now my story. He didn't get the gig. He didn't get it. So he double-crossed me. Took the money and he took the stories back. I got nothing. I had to write my own book. I had to write my own. <laughs> My own stories. Chris Lieben's stories would have been better. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. I, I've never heard of anybody buying someone's stories before. Yeah, paid $100 for it. Too. That was a lot of money, but I only got $1,000 for the fight over there. Holy shit, that's funny. Oh, my God, that is ridiculous. Now, what the fuck was it like going to Brazil? You went to Brazil recently. You know... After all the shit that you talked about Brazil and the Minotauro and the Nogueira brothers. Okay, now that's think, funny. Thinking you, that a bus was a horse. That's funny you say that because good for you because sometimes when you talk about Nogueira, people forget there's two. Right. And there are brothers. You know, you need to be specific. You know, are you talking about the big one or the little one? Are you talking about the fat one or the bald one? Are you talking about the one that used to be good or the one that never was? And it's important that you say that. So good for you for saying there's brothers because a lot of people just think it's the same guy filling in. But there's actually two. What was it like when you went to Brazil? Awesome. <laughs> you want to know what? I had a great time. I, Did you really? Brittany got to go. Uh, you know, we go out with Dana. Um, and we were only there for four hours. And, you know, first off, Rio's beautiful. And I've been to Brazil before. In fact, I was at Abu Dhabi, one that you were at. I don't, I don't know if you would have known who I was back then. But when, when uh, Eddie uh, beat... Uh, Hoyler What was it 2003 I believe in uh, Sao Paulo In fact I was there uh, Ryan Parsons was with us At any rate I've been to Brazil before Were you there with Matt I, And I loved it there with I Matt saw Lindland. Matt Yeah there. I wrestled myself I lost to uh, Kakariko Mr. Guillotine Remember that guy Yeah Big and strong Anyhow Luta Livre Speed up the story So we get there And we've got our own Security detail And it's tight I mean these are These are some Bad looking dudes and uh, I'm surrounded with tough-looking guys all the time. This was a whole nother level, man. These guys got the scars. These guys got the bullet holes. These guys got the, the stitching and the whole bit where you could. Anyway, we're with, we got this bad team. Now, I've never been on a helicopter, but I love carnivals. I love rides. So we go everywhere by helicopter, which apparently is extremely common in Brazil. It's like the number one uh, heliport country in the world. So these are good helicopters with pilots. They're very reputable. And next thing I know, we're up in the air. So this is the ultimate carnival ride. Now, we're there on a gorgeous day in Rio, which is a gorgeous city. And we've got it from a bird's eye view. I mean, I would take that whole trip. All the risk, all the danger, everything that I had to go through for that 15-minute helicopter ride. Um, 
I'm a Catholic. I went over this church that's like one of the wonders of the world. It's not it's not quite as, uh, you know, eighth wonder of the world like the pyramids, but it's close where you look at it and go, how in the heck did you build that hundreds of years ago up on this cliff? There's no roads up to it. You got to walk. It's just just incredible. Well, there's a lot of uh, speculation about the history of Brazil that's come into light recently. I think there's some Roman artifacts they found, some really ancient stuff. And uh, some uh, there's some d- dispute about uh, they found some offshore wreckage or something like that. So they uh, they're now thinking that maybe the Romans had even uh, visited uh, Brazil even before the Portuguese. Pretty uh, amazing country when you stop and think about the wow. history, the history of it. Yeah, you know, Beautiful so place. I have a feeling when you asked me what was it like, you mean you know, how were we received? Yeah, was there any threats? Yeah. And uh, you know. The way I like to, to, to tell it is that it was it was a scene, man. It was we were we were we were down in the trenches over there. But you know the reality. I really liked it there, and it's interesting. Everybody knows who we are there. You know, if I want to be famous in America, Joe, I got to go to a fight. If I go to a fight, I'm a big deal. If I'm not at a fight, I'm not. I'm just regular guy, which is just fine. But I mean, you know, sometimes people lose sight of that. And in Brazil, they all knew who we were. You know, they definitely knew Dana. And they all knew who I was. And I mean all of them, from the bus drivers to the people, to the people working the desk, to the cops, everybody, the people at the airports. And here's how Dana described it to me. He goes, Chael, everybody watches a, a playoff game for the NFL in America, right? Everybody watches. I go, yeah, everybody watches a playoff. He goes, okay, that everybody is 15 million Americans. He said, in Brazil, 80 million Brazilians tuned in when Vandalay, or rather when Anderson and Vitor fought. So those are the kind of numbers. That's how inundated people are with this sport. And that's prior to us bringing them this new Ultimate Fighter with Vandalay and Vitor that's airing. So what I'm getting at is this sport's huge over there. And, and until you're there, you don't realize it. And uh, so at any rate, you know, I'm getting recognized left and right. And that's fun. That's fun for my ego. I'm having a good time. You know, I'm somebody and they want to talk to me. They want an autograph. They're all very nice. Now, I didn't really have time to exhale and enjoy this because I've got so many death threats that are very legitimate. You know, guys not only tell me they're going to kill me, they're telling me how. They're telling me when. They're telling me the, the lake they're going to drag my body into. You know, I've got this security team because the UFC has been warned, you know. So I'm on edge constantly. And I see some kid. Is that the kid? Is, that the, is this the guy? You know, I'm constantly looking Whoa. around. I'm, I'm only human. This is how my mind's working. So by the time we left... The experience was great looking back. At the time I was there, you're on edge. You know, you're looking around. Who's the guy? Who's the guy? You you know, my dad had a real basic rule when you thought you were in trouble. Don't let anybody within arm's reach. If the guy comes within arm's reach, hit him. Don't wait for this first punch crap. If you feel you're in danger and he gets within arm's reach, you strike first and get out of there. Everybody's on you like this. So I'm I'm going against the most basic rule my own father taught me when I'm seven years old, and that's let people in close when you're scared. So I've got my back up against the wall. You know, I'm following his second rule, but the first one's completely, completely broken. But, you know, we had a good time. Were you, like, the fight was supposed to take place, for people who don't know, the rematch between Chael and for folks who aren't following MMA, a lot of people that listen to this podcast aren't even MMA fans. Um, you, uh, after, after the Anderson Silva fight, you, you said a, a, a bunch of crazy shit about Brazil, about 
insulted them quite a bit. And then they were going to have the rematch in an 80,000-seat soccer arena in Brazil. But unfortunately, because the UN is having a visit there uh, two days before, there was no hotels. It was logistically almost impossible to bring that many people into an 80,000-seat arena. It, was just, it wasn't going to happen. So it's been moved to Las Vegas. Was that good? Was it, were you happy when it was moved to Vegas? You know, if I, had to, if I have to answer you yes or no, the answer is yes. But th- there's also a tremendous no. And the no is simply that I was going to get to be part of history. And the current uh, record is Toronto, St. Pierre versus Shields, 55,000 live. We were going to do 80 to 100,000 live. And that would have been very hard to beat. So I could have taken that record for not only currently, but, but maybe into my future years and, and pass that story down to generations. And, you know, again, th- that's an ego boost. And, and there's something to be said for that if we're, if we're being candid that I'd want. The other side of it is, geez, I don't want to fly 14 hours anywhere while I'm cutting weight. Now, somebody has to. Anderson did it the last time, uh, and we fought in California. So, in fairness, I'll, I'll go out there. But How much does Anderson cut? You know, I don't know. He probably weighs about 220. I've been next to him. And he looks as big as me. I'm, I'm right around 220. He's a little taller, so it's hard to judge. But, uh, you know, look, Anderson lives in California, so he flies two hours to Vegas. I'm in Oregon. It's two hours to Vegas. We both got home field advantage. What's the difference in, in, that, in that aspect of it? Yeah, the cutting weight is a, it's a very strange aspect of MMA, isn't it? It's really almost like an art and a discipline in and of itself. And, and a battle. You, know, yeah. and guy, you, you could be a black belt in cutting weight or you could be a white belt. And, uh, you know, to compare it to, to being like martial arts, like you said, it, it is. Some guys are skilled in it. Some guys are experts. You got your Mike Dolce's. They got more secrets than, than you could imagine to get weight off. Yeah. And other guys aren't. Other guys starve because they don't know what else to do. Or they miss weight. You know, we see guys miss weight, too. And that's a big deal. When you sign a contract, that's part of it. You got to honor that. How, how much of your uh, thought process would have been dedicated if there was a fight? How much of it would have been just to worried about your, be worried about your safety constantly? Worried about your food being poisoned? Worried about someone fucking with you? I mean, what would it have been like to compete under that sort of an environment? If, if folks who don't know, I've never seen a crowd more nationalistic than Brazil. It's yeah. amazing how patriotic they, they get are. it right. That's they, the way you should be. They, they get they, it right. They fucking get it right. You should back your guy. Well, I like they, that. They do that in England, but in England, they also, when, when a fighter wins, a guy wins, they, they applaud his skill, even if a guy sure. beats a hometown guy. You know, I've seen it in London. I've seen them applaud when a, when a fighter beat a, a local English guy, and they were talking afterwards. But, man, that's doesn't happen in Brazil. Mike Pyle won. He beat Ricardo Funch. And yeah. they, they were all together chanting some sort of gay slur. <laughs> yeah. Portuguese gay slur. Yeah. And I was like, No, wow. I'm aware. You know, that's unfortunate when that happens. You know, you don't want to behave like a savage or, or, or uncivilized. I mean, we are in a society here. And if you're a fan and you buy a ticket, you can cheer boo whoever you want. But that's where it ends. Don't yeah. touch a guy. Yeah. I won't touch. I don't like all the fans. I like most of them. I don't like them all. But I never touch one. But the same thing goes for them. If you're a fan, you don't reach over that right. rail and slap at a guy and throw your drink on. I mean, that's an what do you think move. it would have been like though if you had won in Brazil in front of eighty thousand people? It, it would have been a scene. I don't think they could have controlled it. They, they they swore that they could. They'd have presidential security there. They were planning to have the president of Brazil there, so they'd have their secret services. Like guys, you can't do it. You know, there was just a soccer game. 
There was just a soccer game and 73 people were trampled to death. You know, you can't control crowds when they decide to storm. You just can't. It's displaced responsibility. I'm a sociologist. I, I've studied this. I've written papers on displaced responsibility. You can't control that, especially when I'm the main event. And the relevance to that is it means the beer started pouring five hours earlier. So now you're not only talking an insightful crowd, you're talking about a drunk crowd. And uh, what I'm referring to is if I beat Anderson up, I go into Brazil, I stomp their hero, uh, and then I'm going to do an interview with you. And it's not going to stop, and I'm not going to apologize to any one of them. So how they thought they were going to control that, I don't know. But, uh, you know, if— What did you think was going to happen? I think they would have—I think it would have been bad. I think it would have been very, very bad. And I and I would not have 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 backed off one bit. Why is that? Because I'm not going to change. You know, I'm going to dance with the one that brought me. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to get my mind right, my approach right. I'm going to do my job as soon as Bruce Buffer gets out of my way, and uh, and that's it. And I can't change. I mean, I don't know how to change. This is what I'm programmed to do, and uh, you know, I hate to talk like one of those maniacs. I'd have given my life, blah blah blah, but. Joe, I swear to you, hand to God, I'd have given my life to win that championship if I had to. Whoa. Whew. I mean, let's, let's I, not forget, one, this isn't I tough guy very, talk. I signed no, the contract to go to Brazil to do the fight. And oh, in yeah. my heart, I thought, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. I made my mother promise she wouldn't go. You know, my mother doesn't get it. She's an older woman. She's got a ruby or a diamond on every finger. You know, you don't go into South America like that, let yeah. alone a fight. It was just one of those deals, but it, it, look, this is what I'm going to do. Wow, that's a that's a crazy stance, man. That's a crazy mindset. And yeah. to to I, I agree. I, of, I don't know that I'm proud of that. I don't I don't I don't mean to sit here and sound like a big tough guy. That's not really what I'm doing. I'm just trying to be candid. But you know, this is what I'm going to do. I worked my whole life for it, and, and if this is how it ends, this is how it ends. But I'm going to get that before I go. You can't really discount the amount of uh, a boost the hometown fighter would get from a crowd like that or the amount of shock the uh, the opponent would get from 80,000 people booing you and you were ready to jump right into that. That's well, that was one of my favorite things. You know, some guys beg for applause. I mean, I've seen some fighters. It hurts their feelings. You know, John Jones, God, she hates if anybody boos. And uh, I'm on the other side of that, man. I, I just, I like it. I like it. And I love it when they cheer, too. You know, I'm not the guy that feeds off negativity, but I do feed off of it. You know, if a guy will pay three and a half dollars for an overpriced drink at the MGM and throw it on me, that's a compliment to me. You know, if I've incited him that much, he's a fan. And How often wants, does that happen? It's happened a few times, you know, where they've, they've thrown something. I've actually never had a drink. I had one guy so mad he took his own hat off his head and threw it at me. He missed. But, you know, you get the point. <laughs> I kind of felt like I almost wanted to hand it back to him. But... Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those deals, but, you know, they get so insightful. But, you, you know, don't forget the other side of that coin. Not only are they upset with me, but they're cheering their guy. You know, if you want to back yeah. your guy, you're a fan, man. You work hard for that money. You took the night off. You know, you, you talk dad into bringing you out to the fight. Mm. Be a fan. Don't touch anybody, but be a fan. Even if that means to boo, so what? That's interesting. That's a very interesting point of view. Uh, I would prefer people not boo because it's kind of cunty. And it's disrespectful for someone who is doing what is essentially the most difficult sport known to man and, and doing it for your amusement. And just because it doesn't go the way of the fighter that you like, you're going to boo and hiss and say stupid shit. That shows a massive level of immaturity that I don't necessarily think we need in this world.
Sure. I think it's it's 2012, and you stupid asses need to catch up. That's what I think. Sure. You I know? think that's so a fair opinion. When I, I hear people boo at a good fight, I'm like, that can't be anybody other than a fucking moron. Right. You know, and I hear that. I, I'll hear that at places, and sometimes I bite my tongue, and sometimes I don't. But when sometimes people are booing a good fight, <clears throat> a good positional battle, or, you know, a good, they don't understand it, so they're booing, or it goes to the ground, so they're booing. It's just uh, it's so it's so stupid and disrespectful. Meanwhile, these same dumb fucks will sit there and watch baseball. They'll watch a live baseball game, one of the most boring events known to man. Something that you could never introduce to another country at, in 2012. You could never bring baseball today. They'd be like, good, good that's for you boring for as fuck." That. Silly, uh, you know, I'm on the, the same, ball with a stick you, game. You look at football and people just adored in this country. And again, good for them. But, you know, in a four and a half hour NFL game, there's seven and a half minutes of action. If you start the time and you turn it off, I'm going, you know, really? I, I can't I can't play along that. That's exciting. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know that I have Doesn't, ADD, but I do for that. You're going to do and then you're going to take a break. And then these the, these big lards where they're all muscled up and they they run to their mailbox. They got to stop at the neighbor's kids lemonade stand. They're so out of shape. You know, these guys, they play for seven and a half minutes. You know how many times they, they go to the water bucket? What are you doing, guy? How are you possibly tired? <laughs> I've been sitting there doing your show for several hours. I don't know. I don't need anything to drink. You know, what are they? They're drinking down the catering. Like, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, and some people cheer these guys. It's like, you know, good for you. I know I'm the I'm the minority. I'm the one missing out. My life would be better if I could really get into sports and have something to do Why on would it Sunday. Be because I'd have something to do. You know, I used, Go to fishing. Have, I used to have to count down UFCs, which were five a year. You know, six a year, and then Pride would do four or five. You know, I would count those days down, literally count them down. Me and my dad would be talking, Tank Abbott's going to fight this guy. We, yeah, let's not miss it. We're going to have a party. And uh, you, you know, so what I'm saying is if I, if I could get in that same passion for other sports, I'd have a better life. I'd have hobbies. I'd have something to do. Like my friends that sit up and they watch Sports Center and somehow they're entertained by that. <laughs> I don't get it. that's good. I'm in the, I'm in the I think dark. you're better off without it. I don't. I don't think it's bad to have one or two sports that you're into. There's not nothing wrong with that. But I know guys who their whole life is just following other people doing shit. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. I hear you. That happens a lot. I can't get behind football. I appreciate it. I respect them as athletes. Some incredible athletes in football. But it, to me, it's just I don't care what you do with that ball. It doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I understand. You know, I mean, I was on Jim Rome earlier today, and it's like you know. Jim, how many times have you had to sit here and interview a golfer or a tennis player or a NASCAR guy? You know, could you imagine being a NASCAR? You push your foot down, and you make left turns all afternoon <laughs> long, and, and somehow that's, a, that's some meaningful event to society. And I'm scratching my head going, you know, I wish that I was one of those guys that enjoyed this, but I, I, I don't get you're making left turns all Sunday afternoon. It's one of so the most what? damning appraisals of America. Yeah, and I, just, I don't understand <clears throat> it. You know, I'm talking to Jim Rome, and it's yeah. like, you know, Jim, good for you. You finally got somebody, and you know, you're, you're welcoming. He is very welcome. He's an absolute ally to the UFC, you know. Yeah. Dana White went on a rant one time. It was great against ESPN where he, you know, Dana was mad. ESPN, ah, blah, blah. and then he finishes by going, what? The only thing good is Jim Rome. You know, he did. He, he made sure to give Jim that prop because Jim deserves it. He's one of the those leaders that came out and he embraced uh, martial arts and the UFC, in, 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 to be specific. Yeah, good for him. Uh, I'm glad he did that. No, now I want to tell you this story. Can Please. I? Do, okay. So I wrote this book, uh, The Voice of Reason, which comes out tomorrow. Let me give myself a cheap. A VIP pass to enlightenment. Thank you very much. VIP pass to enlightenment hits the bookshelves tomorrow. It's available right now at Amazon.com. This isn't a plug for the book. That was the plug. I'm done. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story, and I've only told this story twice in my life, so I don't know if I'm good at telling it. I told this. See, 
when you write a book these days, you don't actually have to write anything. You talk it all out. It all goes into the, you know, stensive, whatever they call it. And then they, they go back and they, they type it out for you. So I tell this story and I know who D.B. Cooper is. Okay. I know who D.B. Cooper is. My whole family knows. And it's, it's been like a family secret or, or however, for a number of years. So you know who the guy is. I know who he is. He's alive and well. And, and, and a lot of times over the past few years, somebody will be on their deathbed. You know, this just happened about four years ago. A guy's on his deathbed, and he comes out and says, I'm D.B. Cooper. And he tells his whole family, and they go to the media. And the media jumps behind and says, well, it must be true, because why else would you want to go down as a criminal on your deathbed? And I'm sitting there, and I told everybody that would listen, when they look into these facts that this guy's putting out, I assure you, that won't be D.B. I told everybody, but I never told them why. I never told them how I was so confident. It's my big, big worldwide news. D.B. Cooper case finally saw. And then they unraveled it, and sure enough, it wasn't. But I told everybody that wasn't him. Well, the reason I knew it wasn't him is I know who D.B. Cooper is. My whole family knew, and it was a secret, and my father passed away. So now, the se- now, now my oath to keep it a secret has also passed away. I don't feel that I, I can't reveal this He's story. Alive. He's alive and well. I know exactly who he is. So I tell the story in my book. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happened in the D.B. Cooper case. And so I need to really make this shorter. I could take up your whole uh, whole show with this. But one, for folks who don't know who D.B. Cooper is, why don't you explain that? Very famous. Well, he's the world's most famous hijacker. And I believe he's the most famous, uh, one, because he was never caught. But two, he may have been the first hijacker. You know, I want to say this happened like in the 70s. And D.B. Cooper hijacks a plane. He makes it through security. You know, security is totally different back then. Gets on board. He's in a cheap disguise. Uh, he orders the plane to be touched down, says he's got uh, a device, you know, a bomb, a bomb in his, in, his, in his bag, shows it to a flight attendant. They touch down. There he is. Brings him up. on that. Now, that's a sketch deposit. Of course, nobody knows what he actually looks like, but that, that's the sketch deposit. Uh, if the viewers can see that. So at any rate, they touch the plane down. They bring him his 200000 in cash and unmarked bills, and they go back up. Well, while they're up, he parachutes. They don't know he's got a parachute. Now, where the story gets interesting is he was never found, but the money wasn't either. No sign of him was found. His parachute wasn't found. His body wasn't found. And one of the things that was a problem is where he jumped was a mass forest. I mean, miles upon miles. It, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square acres of nothing but forest. So basically what any expert would say is, look, he didn't make it. If, if he even made the fall, he would have been eaten by coyotes or bears. There's, there's good reason why we never found his body, and it's not because he made it out of there alive. Okay, now you, you need a couple of those details. So how do I know him? Well, uh, a family friend, and, and I put this all in the book. I put all of this in the book, and the publisher didn't use it. And the reason he wouldn't use it is because I won't tell the name. I tell the whole story. I'm about to do that for you now, but I don't reveal the name. He goes, with, without a name, I can't use it. I go, wait. That's ridiculous. I can touch on every single detail. You know, and, I, and I'm telling my publisher, going, hey, I don't think you know who D.B. Cooper is. I think, you should, I think you should Google him. You know, there's movies made on him. Prison Break just had a character pretending to be D.B. Cooper. Folklore has been made out of this guy. Well, where this guy jumped was, was government land. But that land backed up to Indian land, and this gentleman was part Indian, and he grew up in this forest. This is where he spent his summers. Months after months, they would go out and camp in there, you know, in between school breaks from the time he was a little kid all the way on. He knew right where he was jumping, and if anybody could have made it, it was this guy. Now, my dad grew up with this guy. He was a family friend. And back then, parachuting, well, much like now, is very uncommon. If somebody does it, you go tell all your friends, oh, I found this parachuting class, and I'm going to do it. They take pictures, and they 
showed up. This guy was taking parachuting lessons. He didn't tell anybody. And uh, <laughs> he started taking motorcycle classes and stuff. He wasn't telling anybody. He was racing these bikes. And that's, one of, that's what my dad personally believes, though he never got the story, that he, that he parachuted, had a hidden motorcycle, and rolled it out. That's my dad's personal theory. So, you know, all this stuff comes down, and, and many years later, uh, the statute of limitations is up, and all of a sudden this guy starts collecting a, a pretty good assortment of toys, from shotguns to four-wheelers to motorhomes. My dad's known him his whole life. He knows what the guy does for a living. He knows what his wife does, and he, what the heck's going on here? You know, how come, where are you getting all this money? And the guy says, well, you know, I'm an Indian, and, and uh, when you re reach a certain age, you get some Indian money, and there's some truth to that. There is Indian money that's given out uh, if, you're a, if you're a native living in America, but you're talking about like $1,800 a year, and when you get older, about three grand a year. This guy came into a wide assortment of money. Well, the sketches came out of D.B. Cooper, and it's a spitting image of the guy. That picture and, that we looked at? Yeah. It's just, well, there was different ones of him in the disguise with the mustache and the whole bit. But it's, it, they're going, hey, wait a minute. This looks just like you. So, uh, you know, one night my aunt asks him. They're, they're, they're at dinner. They're all family friends. My parents are there. My aunt and uncle are there. This guy and his wife are there. My aunt looks across the table and flat out says, are you D.B. Cooper? And he said no. But the way that he said no told everybody there that he was, and they never brought it up again, ever. Now, as it came out, and my uncle asked him a little bit in private, hey, well, you know, that other night we were having some Chinese food, and you, well, my, my parents and uncles weren't the only one that thought he was. The government did too. So the FBI had visited this guy, and then he even moved away for a while, went to Arizona, and then slowly came back. Uh, but, you know, he was talked to by the FBI. They thought he was D.B. Cooper as well. So when my dad was on his deathbed, uh, you know, we, he and I had a, you know, you ask me whatever you want, I'll ask you, and I'll tell you how the story really happened. You know, it's a bit of a fun moment uh, between father and son. Everybody leaves the room and say, hey, Dad, what really happened that night when you came in at 2 a.m. <laughs> smelling like bourbon? You know? hey, what, what really happened that day the principal called and claimed that you and your friends were? So we kind of go back and forth, and I ask him flat out, is blah, 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 D.B. Cooper? And my dad said, well, all the evidence is saying that he is. Your uncle believes it, your aunt believes it, and your mom believes it. I don't think he had the courage. I don't think he was. So my dad's final ruling on his deathbed was no. He, he said he wasn't, but uh, he's D.B. Cooper. I know really? D.B. Cooper. Absolutely. There was another uh, theory that D.B. Cooper was a serial killer, that he's a guy who uh, had killed his family, I believe. Let's see if we can find that. What are you looking up? Dead Coopers? Is this some chick who's claiming? How is, is he looking this up so fast? It's like you or I have the thought, and he's got it on the screen. What, he's got how is fingers. he doing that? He's got nimble fingers. That's that's very impressive. If you, yeah. But I tell him this give story, you a massage, and, and you they don't put it. it in the book. He goes, "Listen, I can't put it in the book if you won't say the guy's name." I go, "Well, wow. it's my, my father's story. I can't, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it." It's a pretty goddamn good story. That's one of those rare folklore type stories yeah. where it just gets passed on and on and nobody and the guy jumped the in washington happened. state you know the jump yeah. db cooper high and he jumped in washington the guy lived in oregon that's where he went so now you lived in oregon most of your life right? yeah i'm still there bigfoot yes or no uh, well absolutely yes really yeah but you know the bigfoot makes it sound like you're some conspiracy theorist i believe there are sasquatch uh and i believe this because people that i believe and trust including a doctor has said look i know where they are 
and, and it's he knows very where they hard. Are. Yeah, he says it's very hard to get to, and he's got this plan. He's got this big grand plan. He's a survivalist. He's got this whole plan lined up about, about how we can get to him. And his personal belief, and you know, it's just a theory, but he lives in that part because Bigfoot's supposed to be from the Northwest. Yes, he lives in those hills where all these Bigfoot stories come from. And he's like, look, it's not a Bigfoot like it's some wild monster living out there. I believe there is a, a, a pack, a family of Sasquatch that just haven't been discovered. We haven't photographed and learned about them. I believe there's an entire tribe of these Bigfoot. Wow. Well, so, how come no bodies, no nothing, no good pictures? All the pictures are bullshit. All the stories have holes in them. Oh, tremendously. Tremendously. Yeah. Like, you ever watch Finding Bigfoot or any yeah, of Yeah, I do. I'm embarrassed to admit to you that that, that I think there is a, a Sasquatch, you know, because I know the kind of people that that that, that well attracts, i'm asking because you lived up there and that's where most of the yeah, are. northern california you know they talk about the bodies but the truth is what bodies do you ever find you know bears are out there coyotes are out there do you ever walk through the forest and find bear carcasses it's or true. coyote you know you sure don't and to your point, there's a number of hoaxes. There's a number of guys dressed up in a stupid outfit that you could buy any Halloween, run through while his buddy records it, and they stick it on the Internet. I get that there's hoaxes, but there is some pretty good footage. You know, you said there was none. There's some very good footage. As a matter of fact, I've done a lot of work in the movie business and, and, and stunts and stuff, mm -hmm. and this topic comes up on Hollywood sets, and these are the best guys on earth for designing things to look like humans. And they've said that there is one video where as he moves, the muscles and the body part move. And, and, and mm -hmm. stunt coordinators and makeup and costume people in Hollywood say there is no costume created to do that. Okay. They don't all say that. Some of them oh, you, do say that. Oh, I would that. love to hear yeah. what you say. Some of them do say that, and I think they're idiots. And I think if you look at that, that's a man in a fucking monkey suit. Oh, and really? it's not even a good monkey suit. And the man who did it, I this guy Patterson, look up the Patterson Bigfoot footage. Um, the guy Patterson was a con artist. Not only was he a con artist, he was arrested for writing a bad check to buy the very camera that made that video. Oh, God. Him that, and another guy conveniently went looking be, for Bigfoot and found the video. I will be embarrassed if you, if you break this right in front Listen, of me. Because I've looked into this, too, because I, uh, I live in that area. I, believe I find in, it fascinating. I believe it's very possible. You know one of the reasons why I believe it's possible? Because Jane Goodall said it's possible. This is the video. Yes, yeah, this is this the is exact That's a guy video. in a monkey suit, bro. That doesn't even look good. That looks stupid. Look at his big, fat, stupid fucking shirt he has on. Big, hairy fucking shirt and big, stupid-looking shoes. That's a terrible monkey suit, and he's just hunched see, over. see, that looks good to me. Yeah, come on, that man. That looks good to me. Maybe I need back to that shit up again. But there's other ones, Brian, that have been uh, leveled. See, that's the... Um, that's the footage of him uh, falling down. Some people have sent it through computers. There, there you go. There you see a better. Yeah. That's a better video of it. No, no, no. What we just saw back then, you would just you just had it in the middle. It's uh, better. Now, again, I do want to be clear before I become the conspiracy theorist. Oh, that that's what it is. I'm sorry. The beginning of it is zoomed. I don't Back believe up there's, the zoom part. that there's one yeah. monster. I, I believe that there's it's a family Sasquatch of animals. Fan. Yeah, and it's, you know, yeah. I was told this by a guy that I trust. That's, that's how but everything Look at works. the skinny-ass fucking legs. Well, I got to tell that you. That is not. You're, that's so stupid You're looking. making a pretty darn good case right now, Joe. Pause that shit. I, I, I'm going to have to say, I, I, I'm starting to rethink. But this is Pause that the shit. video I was referring to. Come on. To. Look how dumb that looks. It's got tits, too. What's that? They have double Ds? Is that, is that what gorillas have? Get the fuck out of here, bitch. That's fake. That's fake as fuck. 
I, I have a good fake meter, and it just looks at that thing. I look at his big, stupid-looking shoes that he's wearing. Those aren't feet. Get out of here. That's a fucking monkey suit. It's not even a good one. They took a video of a guy. The guy just so happened to be out there looking for Sasquatch. Sure. And, oh, I now, fell off my horse, and immediately while I had my camera ready, we saw the Bigfoot just strolling along, not a care in the world. Now, now let's, let's make sure, in fairness, that if we dissect that video and we— and we decide that, dice, that 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 video's garbage. That doesn't make the whole theory garbage. You know, I do, do not. This. I do not not believe in Bigfoot. And people, one of the reasons why is because where the the area where this, this most Sasquatch sightings are is right at the end of the Bering Strait, and between Alaska and the northern coast of the the, the United States, or the, excuse me, the northwestern coast of the United States, that's where all of the Sasquatch sightings, the, a huge majority of them, were for a long time. They started spreading out all throughout the yeah. country, and who knows how many of them are bullshit. You, you know. The number is weird, but the American Indian had two. The American Indians had over two hundred different names for Sasquatch, or twenty, some some of the two, something with the two, a bunch of them. And they don't have like a lot of mythical animals. They, this was a this was a real thing that they thought lived amongst people, and it's a real animal that used to actually live. Uh, if you follow the Bering Strait in Asia, it's called Gigantopithecus. It was an eight foot tall like primate. Good enunciation, you're right. Yeah. A, a huge Bigfoot. It was essentially Bigfoot. It, it is the exact animal, you know? Now, now I want to tie this school of thought that, you know, I said, yeah, I think there's a Sasquatch. You said, and then we both agreed on this video. We have differing opinions of the video. However, if we prove the video one way in my favor right. or your it doesn't. It doesn't prove the answer to our, our original thesis, which is, is there a Bigfoot? And you see this, this flaw, this pitfall, as we like to call it, in human thinking when it comes to alien encounter. How many times have we seen somebody that says, hey, guess what? I was abducted by aliens, and I was given a special power. In fact, to prove it, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make that light turn off by sitting in my chair and not touching it. And right. that will prove to you that I was abducted by aliens and given this power. So now I sit here, I make that light turn off. Okay, I've got a power to per turn that light off. But having that power does not prove that I was given that power by being abducted by aliens. But there's a pitfall in human thinking. And oftentimes, if you can get people to believe one thing one way or the other, they can then connect that to a completely isolated and separate incident, which is, which is what I don't want to happen with the video because I'm realizing right now I'm looking like a real doofus after looking at that video. Yeah, well, that, I'm going to need to get my, my evidence together and come back. That video was actually, not only was it proven a hoax, but the guy who played Bigfoot uh, wound up confessing. So, uh, yeah. Or is it's that just, the conspiracy? Yeah, it could be. The, it could be just a guy. Look, anytime there's some sort of a serial killer, people will come out of the woodwork to claim, like the DB Cooper thing. The same thing. People are time. full of shit. They're, they're people are crazy. Absolutely. But that just stinks to me. I look at it, it looks stupid. Yeah. I hear people, experts, talk about. It. I'm like, bitch, what are you talking about? That doesn't even look remotely real. Sure. It just, it looks dumb. And the the way it was created is the, the just the odds of this guy finding it no one else has gotten a good photo of it but that doesn't mean that it can't be real if you fly over the pacific northwest and you see how dense that part of the world is people i don't think a lot of people really truly understand the the amount of acreage of really almost impassable rainforest right. you deal with in the pacific northwest yeah. When you fly over these areas where these people are talking about sightings, and they don't just have sightings, by the way. They also have real sound effects, um, these sounds that are some sort of primate that's screaming out. And they've sent these things to experts, you know, people who are trying to detect hoaxes, you know, and these people that have been on uh, camping and hunting trips have re recorded these things. And th these are primate noises. They don't know what the fuck it is, but it's a primate noise. 
And one of the guys that I think is a, a real credible guy that has had a, an encounter is uh, Les Stroud, you know, the Survivor Man? Yep. That guy was uh, staying in Alaska. He was doing one of those Survivor things in Alaska. And he said that he was asleep and he was uh, inside his tent or trying to sleep. And in the middle of the night, he heard primate noises. He heard primate noises in, in the woods near him. And he got out of his bed to try to look, and he heard just something running and crashing through the trees when it heard him. And to this day, he has no idea what the fuck it could be. It could, he said it couldn't have been a bear. He goes, it was very clear primate-type noise. <laughs> something along those lines. Something that's just not a bear. And whatever the fuck it was, he said it was enormous. It might be possible. There's, it's, there's enough dense forest that there might be just a few animals. I mean, try finding a fox. Good luck. Sure. Go, go try to find a fox. Yeah. I, the other day I was driving in Studio City. I saw a coyote. This motherfucker just wandering around. Just go try find a coyote in the wild. Go just go go look right. for one. And there's millions of those cunts. Yeah. Coyotes are everywhere. To live in the Pacific Northwest to be a primate, it it, it might be possible. Sure. Well, and then I when you talk about the theory of evolution, out. so you're talking about a Sasquatch, you're talking about a derivative of a human. Yeah. So you you've got to assume that they're a little bit more intelligent than say a coyote. If it's hard to find a coyote, it's gonna be very hard to find a Sasquatch. If it's true, I mean, I'm just fueling the fire right. again. I don't want to come off with the guy. I believe it because the guy I happen to trust just says, "Look, I think it's true," and so I'm choosing to believe him more than I believe the evidence. How many people do you know that have seen one? Me at zero. Zero. Yeah, I'm at zero. Yeah. Even the guy I trust has never claimed that he's seen one. He just said, look, I, I've looked at the evidence. I just think, they are, I think they're there. Jane Goodall, she's a monkey expert. She said 100%. Really? 100%, son. So there. Why yeah. are you shaking your head? You don't think so? No. What do you think? No. What's the number you I think? I think the whole thing's bullshit. 100% bullshit? But that comes back to bullshit. alien encounter. You get people who used to work at the Pentagon and NASA that come right. out and claim mm. there's aliens. You so know? Of course so. And, and again, it's a, it's a flaw in human thinking because the guy works at NASA. What NASA's got 3,800 desks. You don't think a crazy person can get a desk <laughs> there every now and then? You know, the same thing goes for the Pentagon. I used to work at the Pentagon. The Pentagon's never employed a madman. Get out of here. Right. Right? Who cares what you used to work? <laughs> Show me an alien. You know? Show me an alien. Don't, don't give me a, 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 a pitfall in human thing i actually cover this in my book it's on page 92 in the voice of reason i talk about human pitfalls and, and, and it's why we're able to believe such out, outlandish and crazy things do you remember year 2000 y2k yes. we all went into a panic i stayed home with water i, I stayed, water and canned foods I, I stayed in as well i didn't have my supplies i should have i was at college i didn't have money for for the water or canned foods but yeah you know we all buy into it and it's it's this hysteria with no evidence yeah and the real loose evidence 2012 december 21st end of the mind calendar that's yeah. another one huh, huh? Nah. except recently they found newer versions of the mind calendar that they uh, had never discovered before that were more complete that go far past december 21st like, 2012. Like how far, like 10 year 10 more years of money making you, yeah, yeah, yeah you know what i mean balling. <laughs> you got 10 more years of balling son how yeah. you feel about that Good. you know thank you for that line you finally contributed to today's show besides setting the whole thing on oh, nice to see you <laughs> pipe in over there you look like an intelligent guy. You just haven't said much today. Uh, I'm just you think hungry. he looks like an intelligent guy? I was, I was really saying, Chael Sonnen, he knows how to read a man. <laughs> right up, right up until that. Man, he's got all these wires, man. I know he's, I, I know oh, he's, he's done something today that we couldn't. He's got an odd form of intelligence. It's true. What would you describe it as? What, what I was meant, meant by the my encounter is that it was ten more years for the people that are behind the whole thing to make more oh, money. Oh, to say, yeah, oh, we said 2012, we made right. 2022. Right. There's what books? There's yeah. fucking products. There's well, do you remember that one when we had Pinchbeck in? And he's like convinced that something's happening. It's like anytime you're convinced of anything, I'm like, what? You know it's gonna go down. Right. 
The economy's falling apart right before our eyes. It can't rebound. <laughs> isn't, hasn't it been around exactly. a long time? Exactly. Yeah. Isn't it kind of flexible? Isn't there a bunch of people like fucking with it right now and trying to put it back together again? <laughs> you think they're not going to be able to figure it out? Meanwhile, they figured it out in the first place. And do you even barely understand it? Because I barely do. Right. I watch the stock market scroll across my screen. It might as well be Mayan hieroglyphs. Right. I don't know what the fuck that means. Do you know what any of that stuff means? No. Yeah. And yet it ones without us. Yeah. No, yeah. And the bottom line is relax. You know, it'll 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 work itself out. And yeah, things might get tough, but how spoiled are we anyway? You know, I, I always hear these debates on education. It's like, well, look, when my father went to school, and that wasn't all that long ago. Not my great grand my father, just my dad. When he went to school in high school, if you went for four years, you graduated. That was it. There were not standards set. You must pass this class. You got to have algebra and you got to have geometry. And you gotta, if you show up for four years, you get a degree. And, you know, back in the olden day, there was no first grade, second grade, third grade. They they all went to school together. Everyone in the neighborhood showed up to the same school, and the teacher taught them all. Wow. And, and, and those are the same people that have now built our bridges and our churches and brought us technology and evolved into Steve Jobs and Apple and Microsoft and Bill Gates and these wonderful things. So apparently the education system uh, doesn't necessarily need this great revamping. I mean, b before we even had textbooks and computers, people were learning and people were doing great things in this country. So, you know, we, we've gotten so spoiled and we've turned weak you know we've, we've become feminized and, and, and our masculinity has gone in a lot of things such as having grit and digging deep and if the economy sucks and you got to find a better way and you got to cut back then that's what you got to do but grin and bear it you don't you don't go build a, a a hole in a cave somewhere and wait for the end of the world man up well one of the issues with you know trying to get by in today's society and bringing your kids into schools is that there's a lot of fucking people out there that have done a real shitty job of raising kids. A real shitty job. And when you put your kids around them, your kids are in danger. And there's liabilities and there's all kinds of bullying and stupid shit that goes on and crime. And if you can't figure out a way to get your kids out of those situations, they never even have a chance to let the system work yeah. on them. A big part of what school is is sending your kid to some sort of an awkward fucking prison that they're stuck at for many hours a day, especially if you lived in any sort of economically compromised situation, any sort of place where there's a lot of poor people, any place where there's a lot of people that are down and out and there's a lot of fucking shitty parents and you got to go to school and deal with gangbangers and all kinds of other craziness while just trying to stay alive, trying to stay healthy. Fuck learning. Good luck. Half this country, good fucking luck trying to learn something in public school. And how much energy is uh, our politicians putting on that? How much has anybody changed uh, budgets where they're enhancing school budgets and, and paying teachers much more, trying to make it commensurate for what it's worth, make it commensurate rather for what it's worth, like, 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 like a doctor, like having a, a, t a good teacher is just as important as having a good doctor. You're having someone that develops the way you fucking think about life, not just shows you information that you need to memorize for some stupid fucking test that you're not going to absorb anything out of. They, they show you how to think. They show you how to live your life. They show you good examples of people who have lived quality lives, and they get you to think and pattern your thoughts in a certain direction. And most kids aren't even getting that today. Most kids are getting a shit fucking experience in public school. 
That's what the problem is. Sure, people need to man up. Absolutely fucking for sure. But that comes, it also comes with having kids and raising your fucking kids and being a man in the first place, raising your kids properly and correctly. Well, how many people are doing that, man? It's sure. a small percentage. It may be 30%. Let's put a number on it. Let's go crazy and say it's 30%. That means you're dealing with 70% possible fuck-ups. And not every kid that comes from a fucked-up household becomes an asshole, but goddamn, a lot of them do. How many times did you have to deal with kids in high school and in college even that were just a fucking mess all the time? And it was always because of the way they grew up. It was always because their brother fucked them over, their parents fucked them over, nobody paid attention to them, and that poor asshole just gets jutted into the school system and has to fucking figure out his own way to the surface of the water. That's yeah. the problem. It is partly because people are weak and sissified in this country, but it's also because the system is run by cunts. The system is run by a bunch of greedy cunts that don't pay attention to the most important resource this country has. It's children. The most important resource. You want to have a, a great, powerful country? you got to have a smaller percentage of losers. And how do you have a smaller, smaller percentage of losers? Well, you have to go into the fucking places where there's the most losers economically and help those fucking kids. Joe, and, you are on fire right now, it's man. true, Keep right? Keep going. I'm a sociologist. This is what I got my degree in. You are on fire right now. You're saying this in a sim simple manner, but this is actually very deep. You know, the first time I ever came to one of your comedy shows, you know, I went through school. I went and got certified smart. I sit in on lectures. I've written papers. I read every book I can get my hands on. I left your first comedy show. I've never thought more than I than I did at your show and I thought I can never tell him that or he's gonna go you're listening to a, a high comedian you know I'm gonna look like a fool if I tell him this but I couldn't disagree with you more but you know when you say very simple things like marijuana's never killed anybody and 14 people died last year because coconuts fell on their head and we're not 50 we're not making coconuts illegal I can't help but look at that and have to think and rethink my stance you know and I'm like I don't I don't want to agree with Joe I'm on the right he's on the left I don't like this but why don't I like it? Because he's making a damn good point. And what you just said could be two or three chapters in any sociological book, and you are right on the money. Well, I mean, I'm not on the right or the left. I'm on the right about a lot of shit. I'm on the right about guns. I'm on the right about punishment. I'm on the right about a lot of things. I'm on the left when it comes to people having fucking freedom. You know? Maybe you're a libertarian. I'm much more of a libertarian than I am a, a, a liberal. You know, there's a lot of like, social, I believe in a certain amount of social Darwinism, you know, I think, but I don't think it should ever apply to children. You know, I think if you want to be a fucking loser and you want to go out in your life and, and fuck it up, that's one thing. But I think a tribe protects its children, you know, and if we are anything in America, I think we're a tribe, we're a community, we're, we're one gigantic fucking tribe. And if we have any kids that are out there that aren't getting taken care of, then we're failing, we're failing. So that's our foundation. So it doesn't matter what the fuck we do at the very top of the apex with, you know, traveling to the fucking moon and working on the Star Wars program. That doesn't matter if our foundation is full of shit. So the, the very way our society is constructed, it's to let you know that the people running it are fools. It's like a roadmap to retardation. You see it real clearly, connect the dots. Oh, you're just a bunch of greedy douchebags. This is it. Real yeah. simple. Again, that's sociology. You're not talking psychology. You're talking sociology right now. If you were the, you I'm completely with you. If you were the president, how would you fix all this, Chelsea? How would you fix this world? 
Well, that's such a deep question. And I think about question. that a lot. You know, I Do ran you? I ran for office. I know I'm you involved. did. I'm a statesman. I, you know, I, and you know who I want to be president is Brian Stan. And he's oh, got yeah. the resume. He could fucking do he, it. He literally could become the president oh, yeah. of the United States. I'd and, vote for him in and, a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, he's got a guy that corners him named John Bartis. John Bartis helped to get Newt Gingrich elected. Uh, he's out of Georgia. Brian's out of Georgia. And, and and that isn't to brag on Newt Gingrich. What I'm, what I'm saying is Brian has the people around him that know how to do this. I mean, this guy's an All-American from the Naval Academy. He's a war hero. He's a sports hero. And he's as squeaky clean as they come. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, but, so, and he's you know, intelligent, articulate, yeah, thoughtful. People love him. You know, and Great but, guy. When I make that comment of he could be president, people don't understand. No, no, no. He, oh, he really could be, could be the oh, president, yeah, really. and he should run. And I and I like to throw these plugs out there so that the right amount of people will push him. You know, that's how we got George Washington. It's not a job he wanted to do. People came to him, and he was finally willing to right. do it. So, anyway, I have no idea what we're even talking. Oh, what would I do if I were the president? Right. You know, you'd uh, elect Brian Stan. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I I would definitely bring Brian Stan and listen to a VP. cabinet role. He, you know, he would be somebody that you would listen to, a true leader of men. But uh, you know, the, look, there's so many things that need to be done. But the first thing that Could I would you imagine do as if president. You Page as a vice president. You know what I imagine? Quit <laughs> I would quit lying. And and every politician in the country, from the state level to the federal level, have all in the last four years, which is two cycles if you're in the House, have all ran on the same thing. Every one of them, unanimously in the country, all fifty states, jobs in the economy. They gotta quit. No politician has ever created a job, ever, unless it's a state job. And don't bring up state jobs where you're taken from doers and given to non-doers, okay? Where you're taking tax dollars from hard workers and giving it to people that are, you know, in a state job. And I'm not saying those aren't important, but don't count that as, as creating a job. Look, if you're a lawmaker, Joe, you can do two things and two things only, tax and regulate. And neither taxation nor regulation is good for job growth. And they need to come clean and just say that. So you think state jobs are bad for job growth because they're, they didn't come about organically? Yeah, I just don't think you can count it. You know, when you're talking about creating jobs, what you've done is grow the size of government. So now we've got more Big Brother. We have more regulation, more people looking. What's those. an example of like a bullshit state job that they can create? I don't think. Well, OK, let's look at the Department of Education. Let's look at the Department of Health. You know, what are these guys doing? You can't get two nutritionalists to agree. You know, you can't get them to agree. You, you, there's so much done on, on nutrition, you know, and there's books written on blood type. You know, some people need more saturated fats. They love to do this whole thing about saturated fats. They're doing it right here in California. You can't give out a Happy Meal. If it's over 500 calories, it can't include a toy. They're coming down on McDonald's as opposed to telling parents, hey, take responsibility and regulation. Now, what if your kid's an athlete? What if your kid's, you know, wrestling like I had to do as a kid? I need calories, and I also happen to need fat. So yeah, don't you come out and have tell a Big Mac, you should be able to have a fucking Big I should Mac. be able to have two Big Macs. And if it comes with a toy and it helps me to pull through your drive-thru as opposed to your competitors, that's called capitalism. And for the government to get involved is beyond inappropriate. You know, you brought up Barry Bonds earlier and Mark McGuire, and I don't care what those guys did either because I don't follow baseball. But what I do care about is the government got involved. They had a congressional hearing Congress. for Congress to get involved with sport is beyond Ridiculous. inappropriate. And those guys, you know, that's what they should have said. And if I was a congressman up there and my fellow congressman, it's my turn to Spock, I'm going to say shame on you and shame on you to the fellow congressmen. I'm going to say get out there and do something relevant. And if people want to quit going to the ball game, capitalism will fix that sport and nothing else. Exactly. The market will dictate where that silly sport is. 
And it's a self-regulating sport, too. They choose to agree on what is in the contract. There's a reason why the NBA doesn't test for marijuana. Sure. Because everybody would be tested positive. Sure. Those dudes are blazed to the gills. Yeah. So it's not like, well, we're going to eliminate all illegal aspects of any basketball game. No, they have shit they agree yeah. on and shit they don't agree on. And they put things in contracts just to make sure that they can, you know, they can, they, 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 each side enforces their point. But it's. It's a lot of it is ridiculous, completely ridiculous. And congressional here, Congress, you're gonna sit down with the people that are involved at the highest level of our government, and you're gonna debate the hit the ball with the stick game. Sure. Oh, the guy's too good at it. He's taking some extra chemicals, and it makes him really good at the hit the ball with the stick game. And those little kids that are watching at home are gonna be real disappointed, man. Yeah. They find out that that guy took some extra stuff that makes him better at the hit the ball with the stick game. <laughs> right. The fuck, man. No, I think I think it's I think it's shameful. I think it's shameful that Congress got involved in that. And I think you know to yeah. call a congressional hearing, they call it on a, a number of ridiculous things. They call it on the poor guy from BP because they got an oil leak out in the ocean. Now that's horrible, and I don't want to see the ocean get a leak. But I assure you, BP, who's making money, doesn't want to see a leak either. Yeah, they want to see that taken care of. They want to get that cleaned up. They want their shareholders happy. Well, it they actually turned out in the, in the BP case that they had actually cut corners to save money and made a shoddy product. That was a real fucking disaster that's a different situation that's a company that was you know they're they're responsible for that we, we they had pundits up. from they didn't build the the uh, there's two different ways to build that valve and they didn't build it they took a, a shortcut to make it to happen make it happen quicker and they had, they'd been warned about that too that was a fucking tremendous disaster we had members of congress calling to uh, going on on shows and telling pundits hey listen we need to get the military out there now, of course, they don't say what the military is going to do. We don't have a, what, what's the military? Gonna do? They're going to shoot, shoot the it. Oil. They're going to shoot at the oil. I mean, what are they possibly? Well, they were talking do? about dropping a nuke. But Congress. Somebody was talking about dropping a nuke and right. closing on. That's how they're going to close off the oil. Right. Well, drop ridiculous. a nuke on it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, and, could and, you imagine what that would look like? And the British guy, just dolphins and whales right. flying into the right. fucking sky. Right. Have you ever seen the video, the photograph of that uh, the bomb that they blew off in the ocean? Brian, pull that that picture up. It's nuclear test ocean Pacific something. It was incredible. I don't know what year this was. It was a long time ago. But the 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 actual explosion from this nuclear bomb that they dropped in the ocean, the the water was so much bigger than they thought it was going to be. They yeah. set all these battleships around it, like they were going to monitor this thing and see what the impact was. The battleships just got now, fucked. They get flown sideways. It's like miles high water straight up into the air. It's incredible. Now while we're waiting for the video, I'm going to play. It's the, a, just a photograph. The one up game, and, and I don't one up you. I'm going to come in second here but I want to I want to relate I had a friend that had to do two years in, in, in a military prison because when he was in Iraq uh, during the war of 92 way way back but he was in my neighborhood he shot a camel with a law and a law is a rocket launcher oh so they're out God. in the desert they got nothing to do a camel goes by and he shoots his thing so you're talking about wanting to see a picture I don't like that the camel had to give his life and you know as, as the rumor goes they're they're quite coveted over there I don't I don't say this to be uh, uh, disingenuous or denigrating but, but I'm told you you know you, you can even marry one over there whether that's true or not I don't know <laughs> but this, but it's it's that serious he shot it with a rocket launcher oh my now, God. I don't want that poor camel to have to die but I do want to see that if there was a video or a footage and my buddy had to do the guy in my neighborhood has to go to military prison for two years i at least need to see what happens when a rocket meets a camel in the desert what did why did they put him away for so long two years is a long ass extremely time. disrespectful i mean you're really talking about offending people in that part of the oh. world we see we don't understand that i don't i don't get it either ah, it's a camel i was there. uh i watched one of those anthony bourdain shows those uh yeah. reservation shows where they cooked a camel 
They, they, Anthony they Bourdain killed a camel style. and cooked it. Yeah, they slow cooked it underground. It's like, whoa, you're eating a camel? I yeah. didn't even know they ate camels. But I guess when sure. you're stuck out there and there's nothing but camels, you got to make do. But it's yeah. like it was like a special dish that they would only have like at yeah. certain times. I was in trouble because I, I talked about the people in the streets of Manus in, in Brazil eating monkey. Well, it's true. <laughs> they do. And it's like, listen, now, before you think I'm making fun of you, you might want to know what we put in hot dogs right here at Yankee Stadium here in America. We eat some pretty weird stuff, too. But it happens to be a true story that they do eat monkey in Brazil. They but do? the point that I'm getting at is they eat weird stuff around the world, man. Right. And, and I think I, I, I personally like it when I travel. I like to try some of that weird. I don't want to eat snails. Or I eat pig intestines and turkey. Turkey, but I didn't know that's what I was eating. I think the mere word intestine is disgusting, and I was pretty upset when I found out I did. You never but had snail, like escargot? No, yeah, I've, I've had escargot on a cruise ship as a kid. Delicious. My, my dad tricked me. I don't like it. I do like caviar. Now that I've gotten older, I didn't like it as a kid. But when the Russians come over like for a, for a wrestling or a dual meet, or even the Russian fighters, they all bring caviar that you can trade with them. Trade why, means why you they, give me money, I give you caviar. But uh, Is it worth a lot of money, their caviar? Russian caviar is the most famous kind of caviar. It's kind of like a Cuban cigar. If you can get a hold of Russian caviar, especially back with the USSR before uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union, it was almost impossible to get Russian caviar. That's one of those weird things. So we things. deemed it to be a little better than it actually is, but oh, it I is see. coveted. If you can get it and it, it says Russia on the label, you'll be the hit of your neighborhood party. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like you said, like Cuban cigars. I've always thought it was weird that it, it's an acquired taste. It's so expensive, and it's an acquired taste. Like, why would you want to acquire a taste for something that's really expensive that you initially don't like? Sure. It tastes like salt, you know. I happen to like it because now they've, they've eased us into it because they, they roll all of our local sushi rolls in a type of caviar, real cheap, that yellowy stuff. But, you know, I've learned to like it as I've gotten older. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I really like Chael to just Sonnen, tell people that I great have Great American caviar. loves caviar, Russian caviar. Anything else? We're going to wrap this bitch up. Bring it home. Man, I had a great time. I got to tell it's you, I had a really good time. I, I learned some things about you today. You're, you're not just that pothead comedian I thought you were. You're, <laughs> you're, uh, you got Second Amendment and some deep thoughts. And, and, you know, whether you know it or not, you're a sociologist. Listen to some of your arguments today, whether you've been certified in it like I you know, went to school or not. You're a sociologist, and I admire that. Well, I'm just a stand-up comedian. I think as a stand-up comedian, you have to understand human beings. To understand yourself in order to move forward, to advance, to evolve, you got to understand human beings you got to understand yourself you know it's just uh my observations are just a part of life cool just like yours just like your book vip past enlightenment what's the first part of it voice of reason voice of reason which you can get right now on amazon you could just go if you have a kindle and get it and you should get a kindle because they're fucking awesome they are great that's how i bought my mom's my mother's day present i just sent got her a kindle book. no just sent oh, her books. a book oh, yeah so nice. now i could just send her books now anyway. yeah that's oh, you cool can buy you it for somebody else yeah. oh, oh that is yeah. a great service and it's amazing it's a it, the fucking battery lasts forever i have a, a kindle the battery lasts forever it looks great it looks like printed word you can even like make the the print larger or smaller like me i'm going blind so i have to make the print larger so it's amazing. It's an amazing product. I have an iPad, and I'll, I'll, I'll watch books on that, too. Sure. I like the effect more, the scrolling, but the, it's better on the eyes, the Kindle. I think the Kindle's a superior device. Yeah. It's I'm the an shit. audiobook guy myself. I like audiobooks. I love audiobooks if they're read well, but every now and then, like, I, I bought a Steve, couple Stephen King books that were written or read by Stephen King. Those are fucking terrible. Yeah, Roger, Ebert, really? Roger terrible Ebert's new book really? is not, he shouldn't have done it himself. <laughs> Roger Fuck Ebert. Up. He's kidding. <laughs> well, I'm kidding. Kidding. That's a bad joke. The guy's got no jaw. Right, you know, I know who he is. Don't, don't do that, oh, dude. Right. That's some bad karma. That's like that show that takes you out, JFK. So I was at the Tom Likas show. And then they, 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 they
How rude. Anyway, that's the end of this show, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to follow Chael on Twitter, it's Sunnen, C-H. How did you get that one? Why not just Chael Sunnen? I didn't know much about Twitter when I set it up. I bet they could change it. Yeah, and I wish, I w- I wish it was Chael. Somebody else told me that. A marketing Tell the said, UFC hey, to go after that. This. No, it's just somebody's got it. Unless it's an actual Chael Sonnen, you know, which I doubt. How many Chael Sonnens have you ever yeah, met in life? Not, I've met a few Joe actually. Rogans. No Chael Sonnens. Yeah. That's, a, that's an unusual. You get that shit on Twitter. That's Sonnen C-H. Yeah, and you say tell the UFC to go. What does the UFC have a department? Who do I, do I call? The Twitter Dana department. And say, go after that. <laughs> call Donna. I'll call hey, Donna. Joe said go the Twitter after Twitter department. That. I go bet. I bet someone. I bet whoever has the the Chael Sonnen, he would probably be happy to give it to you. Hey, hey, douchebag, who you squatter? Stop, stop hiding and holding on to Chael Sonnen's thing. Just give him the password. Well, I take it from when I could just stare, stare at, at him. him. <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing. It w- actually, it wouldn't work that way because you want to get all your followers and bring them over there. How many followers you got? I got 152,193. Not, not that I keep track or you anything. Can't, you can't not have that. So you've got to have to figure out a way to get Twitter to merge the two. They did with me. I had a different, Nick, I had a different Twitter name, and they merged it and made it Joe Rogan. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I, I think I bought it. Yeah, no. you did. Did I buy it? No. I bought MySpace. Oh, that's right. I bought my MySpace. <laughs> what a my waste. Crony, <laughs> my crony Nick over at Tap Out is friends with the creator of Twitter, so maybe we can put him on it. Maybe we can have him go after it. Let's make it happen. All right, so it's Sun and CH for now on thank Twitter. Um, and uh, thank you to everybody that tunes in. Of course, thank you to the Fleshlight, our sponsor. Uh, mm-hmm. Go to JoeRogan.net. Mm-hmm. Click on the link for the Fleshlight. Enter in the code name Rogan, and you will save yourself 15%. There you go, Skipper. Ha! We're also brought to you by Onnit.com, makers of Alpha Brain, New Mood, Shroom Tech Sport, and Shroom Tech Immune. For all information on all of those products, go to Onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. Use the code name Rogan and save yourself 10%. Tomorrow, we're going to be here with Michael Rupert. That's right, Michael Rupert, former Fox L.A. Magic. narcotics officer who busted the CIA selling drugs in the hood. That's D-A-H-O-O-D. And he'll be back to spread more what, Brian? Fox magic. Fox magic. That's awesome. right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Chael Sonny, you're the fucking man. And good luck to you, sir, in I your rematch that. for your title, right? Is it your Thank title? Thank you, bro. It is my title. Undefeated and undisputed. That's it, folks. Boom. <laughs>